It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday, July the 25th. That means it's a, another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, if you want to listen to the show live or replay, the website's weekendwatchdog.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611. Check out our Facebook page, The Weekend Watchdogs. Of course, it's also on iTunes. You probably got to do a better job promoting that. But uh, joining me is our buddy, my buddy, your buddy, Joe Bono. Joe, welcome in. How you doing? Mike, doing well. I think the Mets kind of you know, surprised us yesterday in the morning by bringing up Mike Conforto. A nice start to your Friday morning. And it surprised us a second time when during, you know, you're watching the Met pregame show and then the announcement that the Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson trade is happening. Scary moments there as Twitter kind of jumped the gun thinking that Rafael Montero was part of the deal. Montero was actually trending in the United States. That's how crazy Met fans are before, before they found out it was more C-level prospects, John Gant and yep. Robert Whalen. And yep. it kind of made you feel okay, even though the Mets had a listless performance. John Neese got knocked around. Justin Turner is hitting peas all over City Field, and they lose 7-2 yep. their third straight. Instead, you wake up saying they have professional hitters in their lineup. The Nationals lose again. They're only three games out. Can we be optimistic about this team moving forward? Here's what I would say. I'm excited about uh, talking Yankees postseason baseball in a couple of months. <laughs> That's what I would say about it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, this is going to be a baseball-centric show. I think uh, certainly uh, this time of the year, trade deadline just you know less than a week away. Uh, Mets already kicked it off. We saw Aramis Ramirez, another name that was supposed to be linked to the Mets, go to the Pirates, back to where he started to end his career. Uh, who knows? There's rumors that the Yankees might be in on a second baseman. I know Paul Hamels is out there. Johnny Cueto's name has been thrown out there. Mets are scouting the Reds and the Rockies, so... It's the time of the year where there's a lot of wild rumors. Who knows what's true, what's not. Joe Giglio, who's been on the show before, WFAN, WIP. Uh, he's also done some work at the Bleach Report. He'll be joining us later this hour to join in on the conversation. Hall of Fame weekend. I know Joe and I in the second hour will probably get a little more into that. John Smoltz, Craig Biggio, uh, Randy Johnson, uh, Pedro Martinez, all uh, kind of uh, you know doing their thing over there in Cooperstown, which I was actually in Cooperstown about three years ago, so it hasn't been too long uh, since the last time I was there. Had a chance to uh, run into the all-time hits leader this week, Joe, Pete Rose, who basically will sign. Well, the he way, will sign anything. Let's well, the way you made it sound was the all-time hits leader ran into you. Well, think about it, okay? You've got. Between me and Pete Rose, you have 4,192 somewhat hits over there. All of them on Rose's side. Although I had an all-star season in the uh, St. Athanasius League for uh, OLG back in 1990. Hit over 400 that year, made the all-star team. So I have a little resume next to the all-time hits leader. So uh, I'm sure that, you know, anytime you talk Hall of Fame, Pete Rose comes up. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit because, you know, it's kind of sad seeing what Pete Rose, I mean, he's making a lot of money, making over a million dollars a year memorabilia, but He's sitting around at basically a business conference, hawking autographs for free. And uh, he, he's at Mandalay Bay every day signing stuff, Joe. Every day at the memorabilia, there's a sign Pete Rose from 12 to 3. That's his job, signing stuff. I mean, I know that ballplayers make money, but every day it seems like. I'm pretty sure every day, at least when I was there. I don't know if that's a, 
an anomaly or not. But, hey, we got a lot of baseball to talk about. I know we have a fun show ahead, the number is 646-716-8187. So let's get to it here, Joe. Um, Mets got a couple of professional hitters. They're not really in that's, a pennant race. That term, that term has been used so much this season, professional hitters. And instantaneously, just by pure average, Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson have the best averages in a Mets lineup by quite some a good distance between them and Daniel you know, Murphy Kelly Johnson, and Lucas Dudas and the Wilma Flores of the world. Kelly Johnson, by the way, who's basically bounced around like a, uh, a pinata uh, across the American League East. Uh, with pretty much every team now, I think. Uh, let me see. What I'm going to look at Kelly Johnson right now. Cause well, yeah, remember, he had, joke, 20, he had 26 home runs, I think, with Arizona a few years back. And right. Obviously, he's, got he's going to be part of pop. this. Yeah, well, yeah. he had some pop. And then, he, you know, obviously, he kind of, people in New York, he underperformed with the Yankees yep. uh, when he was here um, last season. And then been bouncing around, obviously, up and down the AL East for a while and always had his best years, most consistent years in Atlanta. They made some trades, got him into the lineup playing more frequently recently. He thinks, to me, he's someone that is going to be able to, obviously, play the outfield, um, be a good bat off first the bench, and maybe even first base, base with Lucas Duda yeah. struggling as much as he can. So he's the perfect kind of super utility guy that this team does not have off the bench. Uh, the question is, with Juan Uribe, he's a third baseman, and now all of a sudden you're going to have to mix and match this infield again. And Wilmer Flores, who has become a non-issue defensively since moving to second base, if you want his bat in the lineup, that means that you're going to have to move him back to short or maybe get into a platoon situation with him and Tejada. Murphy back to second, back to second, and he's a better third baseman than he is second baseman. Um, and then obviously Lucas Duda has not proven that his bat should be in the middle of that lineup each and every game. So you even have some options there with either Murphy at first, Kelly Johnson at first, et cetera. So some tricky possible questions for Terry Collins um, in the coming weeks, how he ends up uh, rolling out this infield each and every day. Yeah, and we know how critical thinking, when it's not paid by numbers, Terry, uh, Terry struggles. Look, here's where I think what the Mets are. I mean, I've been saying that we're going to be putting the death knell on them for a while. They bounced back in St. Louis last weekend on the uh, the wild game on Sunday after looking awful coming out of the break. Uh, they blew a horrible game. I mean, I think hard losses to the Dodgers. The two losses to the Dodgers, I think, would have been bad, but you expected Kershaw a little bit. Last night's a little aggravating, but, I mean, the guy's wife is giving birth, John Neese. What do you expect? You think his mind is on, uh, you know, getting the Dodgers out and put, pitching seven strong innings? And John Neese, that's the kind of pitcher he is. He's going to give you a clunker. He's not a, a top-of-the-rotation starter. The game against the Nationals, I think, if you... If you if you win that game, very, he's, been, he's been pitching very well on the six days rest. It's on the, on the right. five day rest, this is the first game for Nice where he had to go back to a normal four day rest. I mean, obviously the other issues, as Peter Body on Twitter said, that Nice was laboring through his start uh, yesterday with his wife uh, having had her water break. And listen, I know people want to criticize the Mets for putting him out there. Different situation than Zach Greinke, who knew his wife was going to get labor. He wasn't able. He wasn't supposed to pitch for a couple days. He's able to go there for the birth of his child and return back to the team. The Mets got a call about this, you know, a couple hours before the game. Yeah. I mean, you could have had – I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. You look at – Nice has to make the call. He wound up FaceTiming with his wife. So be it. The Mets are really not a contender. I mean, they're, they're in that – yeah, they're four games back in the loss column of both the second wild card and the Nats. The Nats are going to get healthy. 
the Mets are not beating the Nats in situations where the Nats are completely vulnerable. It's only going to get harder as guys come back. And the Nats have experience. They've been to the postseason a few times. They've been down this road. They have no fear of the Mets. They, they clobber them all the time, especially in recent years. So you made a couple of moves. They're, it's not going to impact the future. They're free agents at the end of the year. Hey, they were able to pick up $3 million, which some people during the week were concerned because they were hearing reports that, well, if the Mets went out and got Ben Zobrist, they're not uh, you know, crazy about picking up the extra $2 bucks. Like, oh, wait a minute. If that's the difference between getting Zobrist and not, then we got a problem, probably prospects. And I think Sandy Alderson looks at this logically. If you give up, even Montero, who right now is way down on the charts when it comes to pitchers in this rotate, maybe he's a reliever down, you know, in the future, but he is a, a starting pitcher who has had uh, some panache on the prospect list that you just don't want to give away. Even giving him up doesn't make sense for a team that I just don't think is very good. They just don't have enough offense. Even with this move, they don't have impact hitters. Their manager is awful. This team, never. And I know that everyone thinks, oh, you keep harping on this. Joe, it's okay to lose. That's going to happen. When have you seen this team really compete? There's a difference between winning and competing. And showing up is not competing in a spot with this manager. They never compete. Either they get clobbered at home in prior years and don't show up, and then play in zero-pressure situations on a road, or in big series, they don't show up. What's the last big series this team showed up and said, wow, you know, yeah, they were on the man, yeah, they lost, but you know what? They really gave that team a tough time. When's the last time you heard that? In the five years, this fool, and he's a fool. That's why I'm going to call him a fool. Well, they had a nice. He's been the manager. Yeah, I think they surprised a lot of people winning four out of six in San Francisco and L.A., and then when sweeping Arizona. That was a, uh, a stretch that people had circled on the counter and said, this is when – the season may come off the rails, and it didn't. They actually improved their position. Um, obviously gave a big game away Wednesday afternoon. That really stung because they would have been able to climb you know, one game behind the Nationals, and the Nationals have lost now two straight games to the Pirates, so they continue to keep the Mets around. Um, to me, what still bothers me is the communication. I've been putting on Twitter uh, all this week, you know, Terry Collins, MD, because <laughs> – it's amazing. It's so true how it happens over and over again. I mean, we're talking about after the game on Thursday night and people are asking about Kadir and why he isn't on the DL yet. And he's saying, well, I just spoke to the doctors. Doctors, They're going to give him some more medication. He should feel better tomorrow morning. And then the next morning, they put him on the DL. That's why I joked about it that in the pregame, he's talking about how niece's uh, wife can have a, is going to have a baby any moment now. I said, that baby's going to be born in August. No, you're right. Terry Collins, and you should have queued up. Gonna happen. You, that's a good. I'm going to give you credit on that. You coined that. Terry Collins, MD. Do you have the theme music from Doogie Howser somewhere available, Mr. Production Guy? You know, Mike, we didn't you talk know. about this. I thought about it uh, this morning, and I just, I just didn't do it. I was going to. I'm telling you, that's, that's perfect. Um, look, I don't know what I don't know what the deal is with Terry. You notice though, Joe, that nobody is other than the whole. Sandy coming out and saying that Collins has the the the, the dreaded uh, you know approval vote from management. You're not reading the articles from the uh, the press like, well Terry, you know he's the MVP of the team. He's doing a good job. It'll take you know a collapse to really get him out of here at the end of the year. I I think unless this team makes the playoffs, and I, I think a one game playoff will probably get him 
a stay in execution. Oh, not even winning a playoff. Without question. Even if it's a mediocre, like the league came to them, which is, you're starting to see the separation now. Like, 10 games over 500 is what you need to be or heading in that direction to be a serious contender. They're one over. They got a lot of work to do. But, Mike, but Mike can we look at it? Can't, if you want to be optimistic, and that's the mood I'd like to be in this morning, um, why can't you look at it as you have three games behind, throw the records out because the teams that are, you're chasing, the Giants, the Nationals, you expected both of those teams, the defending world champions and the World Series favored in the NL, to be way ahead of their current pace. And I know you can say, well, they can still turn it on the last two months of the season, but they haven't to this point. So why can't you say they're three games behind the Nationals, three and a half games behind the Giants for the second wild card? They just added two players to their team that should make their offense better. They're looking to make another move. It sounded like they were very active, either from an Upton standpoint, talking to the Reds about Todd Frazier and Zach Wheeler, who knows what else. If they're able to get one more player in here before July 31st and two months with this pitching staff and a more improved lineup, can this team make up three games, three games on either the Nationals or the the Giants? Four in the lost columns. Let's be accurate here, Joe. Four in the lost column. That's what counts. Well, I'm going to answer your question with a tweet that you put out. They have a losing record against teams above 500. And here's a question. I'm putting you on trial now. I'm putting you on baseball. Uh, you're in the jurors, uh, not the jurors box, in the, in the, on the witness stand or whatever you want to call it. Have they played well against the Nationals this year? No. Have they played well against St. Louis this year? No. Have they played well against the Dodgers? Not really. They got lucky they took two out of three. They had one good game. They should have lost the Friday game. They had to eke out a win. Have they played well against the Pirates this year? No. Have they played well against San Francisco? Okay, they played okay. San Francisco's had a flood. Have they played well against the Cubs this year? No. All those teams are ahead of them. Now, I, understand bet, I understand that. I understand that. But they don't have to Kelly play Johnson those games. Rebate. They don't no, have to play change. those games head-to-head. They are arguably going through their toughest stretch of the season in terms of who they're playing. By the way, did not like Terry Collins' comments about, well, is it, is it your team – you know, not hitting uh, right now, or is it the teams you're playing? He's like, well, it, it's the teams we're playing. I did well, not like. I did not. I, I did not like no. that answer. So don't don't well, admit like that, that you guys are not. You know, your team and your clubhouse and the players there are not as good as the teams that you're playing. That should not be ever uttered out of a manager's mouth. Right. I'm going to give you though the stretch, and I'm going to be away for this stretch. <laughs> So, what is your, um, uh, what, when are you hand-waving August? When is your official hand-wave date again? Just so I have this down. I'm like on August 14th. I don't come back to like the 30th. So, basically, you're here for the show on the 1st, which is next Saturday. First. Right? Next Saturday? No, Saturday. Saturday's the 1st. August 2nd. Oh, so 1st. Sorry, no, you're right. August 1st, and then the August 8th. 8th, and then I'm gone. And then you hand-wave, and then you're gone. And when's the next time you're back? September. Uh, the one after Labor Day. Right before 8th, the football 15th, season. 22nd. 29th you're gone, right? Or that 29th you're here? No, I'm gone the 29th. We, I think okay. we should take Labor Day off. I'm going to be in Vegas and then the week after. So three consecutive weeks. But can I get to my point? Is yeah, that if you look stuff. at a stretch, starting Friday, August 21st, and ending on Sunday, September 6th, that's 16 games. Yep. The Rockies mm-hmm. at Colorado, at Philadelphia <laughs> for four, home to Boston for three, home to Philly for three, at Miami for three. 
those 16 games in August, to me, will be the most important stretch for the Mets in the 2015 season. That is a stretch where if you go 12-4, and you're going to be right there through September. Colorado's not a gimme. I could tell you that. Anytime you go play in that ballpark, and you know what? Uh, I know the Phillies are a dead team, but you know they're they're not going to want to sit around and get smacked around by the Mets. And they always, you know, the Marlins are always a tough tough out for them, no matter where they play them. And the Red Sox are still the Red Sox. They're an American League East team that uh, has uh, certainly underachieved, but uh, you could make the argument they're playing in a tougher division in some cases if you want to look at it from an offensive standpoint. But and finish and finish the season. Don't forget. I feel like we're talking about a football schedule here, but finish the season. Uh, with the Washington Nationals at home at City Field, so if they're within Wouldn't three, it be great. And I don't think it's ever going to come down to those games meaning anything in terms of the Nationals making the playoffs because the Nats at that point will have everything sewn up. But if that was a series where there's maybe a game difference here, that's going to be. Let me tell you, Joe, <laughs> Collins will screw that series. That that will be that will be the series. Yeah, I know. That I know. I know the situation that you're in right now, and it's not a fun one. Mike Silva has put himself, has kind of backed himself into a corner where he hates the manager so, so much that he doesn't even want the team to do well. Because if the team does well, the manager sticks around. So in a way, you just want to combust and them to move on from Terry Collins. And in the worst way, in the worst way. I don't want to see everyone accusing me of uh, the only team in the history of my professional sports fan fandom life that I rooted to lose was this past season when the Knicks tried to get the pop pick. That was it. That was it. I said, all right, I've never mm-hmm. rooted. I don't want to see the I'm just saying, play poorly. There is a path to a meaningful games in September which is an important step for this franchise. I know it's not a goal that you should obtain or uh, wish to attain, but it is a meaningful step for this franchise. Just the Mets and the Houston Astros, they're the only two teams that have not had one winning season in the last six years. And Houston Houston is 11 games over 500. They just made the Scott Casimir trade, who's been the best pitcher in the American League all of July. They're going to be over 500. They may make the postseason. It's important for the Mets to finish over 500 this year and to have meaningful games in September. I'm not saying that's a worthwhile goal, but it's important for the fan base and for this franchise to at least finish above 500. You want to make your point about August? As a whole, I'm not saying that it's an easy month. No, I'm just saying you're there right. is no, 16 it's... games there. 16 games is a long stretch where you're going to be playing sub-500 teams. You got Colorado at home. You got the Pirates at home. That's going to be a tough series. Tampa and Tampa. Uh, you can play the Nats at home again. San Diego is coming up next week. It's doable. It's it's well. I'm not I'm not rooting for the Mets to lose. Here's my problem. What I don't want to see happen this week for the Mets. And I know it's interesting. Here we are. We're talking 20 minutes about the Mets, but all year it's like, even though the Yankees are are kind of like this emerging force in the American League. Uh, and, and, I, and I'll say this, and we'll get into this. I'll ask Gilio what he thinks, Joe Gilio of uh, WFAN, WIP. Um, other than the Royals, I tell you what, there's not another team in the American League that I think that I look at in the short series and I think the Yankees are going to lose to. I'm starting to feel that way a little bit. Um, 
the Mets have just been this store. I think everybody's trying. I think it goes back to what you said last week with uh, was it Kevin Clark wrote the, read the you know what the Mets had and the Yankees had and the reaction. I mean, I got off the plane from Vegas on Thursday in the middle of that whole uh, uh, Kershaw almost no hitting the Mets and then the the Duda getting picked off first base and all I did is go to Twitter and I'm like, look at this. I mean, it was just you know blowing up you know with Mets uh, you know anger. And this, part of the move this week, probably the Mets knew they couldn't sit around anymore and, and continue to put this lineup out this, there. This week you started and, and really started to see, started to see the Ken Rosenthal's, the Buster Olney's. You saw national media members start to be critical of the Mets and their well, lineup and what years. they're putting out there. And when they right. put out the 3-4 um, of the 4-5 of, of John Mary, Mayberry and Eric Campbell, that obviously generated national attention because it's the first time since 1920 where a team had two guys uh, batting, you know, below 200 in that scenario. Mayberry since designated for assignment. Danny Muno now off the team. Eric Campbell still has a job as a major leaguer. Uh, we'll see if that stays if the Mets bring in one more hitter uh, between now and the trade deadline. All right. Well, listen, uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, Joe Giglio, WFAN, uh, WIP, uh, NJ Advanced Media. It will be joining us. Uh, great baseball guy. Always enjoy talking to him and, We'll get his take on the Mets. We'll get into the Yankees. You know, he's down in Philadelphia. Cole Hamels and the Phillies might be playing a part, not in the standings, but in the, uh, the GM's office into the pennant races. So a lot to talk about. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up to noon. The number is 646-716-8187. And you can check us out live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be back with Joe Giglio right after this. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdog, taking you all the way up to noon. Joining us, you've heard him on WFAN. You probably heard him on uh, WIP down in Philly. NJ Advance Media at Joe Giglio Sports on Twitter. It's Joe Giglio. Joe, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, and I hope you appreciate Joe's uh, intro music for you because uh, I, uh, I think you're a little bit of a, uh, a fan of the man that is known for that. Oh, of course. I mean, who isn't? And old school wrestling uh, is always up my alley. So uh, I appreciate the welcome and uh, happy to be here with you guys. Actually, I used to be a Hulk Hogan hater as a kid. I, I actually rooted for Mr. Perfect and Genius. I went, I went to Madison Square Garden. I got to give you one wrestling thing. Madison Square Garden as a kid, it was a, uh, the main event was a tag team, Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Perfect and the Genius. And of course... Despite the fact that the genius bonked someone over the head with a his scroll, somehow after the two and a half count, 
Hulk Hogan gets out of it, beats Mr. Perfect. And I never understood why he was considered Mr. Perfect because they would never, he would lose, and then they would claim he had a perfect record after that. So, oh, Joe, yeah. that's my Hulk Hogan. That's my Hulk Hogan well, I, story. I tell you what, I mean, those those old school when the WWF was coming up and trying to become, you know, obviously what it became, the superpower now with its own channel and all the money they had, he was it. I mean, they built it on, on Hogan and. Uh, obviously, uh, all the news that came out yesterday, uh, unfortunate if you're a Hulk Hogan fan, but you know more unfortunate if you're Hulk Hogan, because that's, that's a pretty bad scenario that happened there. You took it rough, Joe. It seems like, uh, you know, following your Twitter, this was, uh, you know, this was news that you know, hurt your childhood to the core a little bit. I mean, mine too. Well, of course. I mean, look, you, you look up to these guys when you're kids, and then, you know, they just become, you know, these athletes or entertainers as you move on from being a kid, but... You don't want them to be bad guys, and I think now you know you, people will look at Hulk Hogan, and especially if you don't really know much about the scenario, just hear what he said. You know, there's going to be the perception, which probably is fair, that he's just you know not a very good person, uh, and so that's that's not good for the Hulkster, no doubt about it. <laughs> so, Joe, here's here's where we're at, you know, and, and Joe Bono is going to be the positive poly here, and I'm going to try to put some cold water on this. So the Mets, we'll start with them. They get a couple of, quote-unquote, is the cliche, professional hitters. But I look at it this way. Yeah, they're four games out in the lost column, and that's a pennant race. And they're four games out of, the, of both the second wild card and the NLE, so they have a couple of pathways here, a couple of teams that could uh, you know, potentially be soft spots, and it's not like it's only the Nats that you have to get through here. But I see it as this way. This trade now gives me confidence that the Mets will be a 500 team. I was starting to doubt that because they were just so bad offensively, despite the fact they probably have pitching that will make up a 100-win team. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't make a move that mortgages any kind of peace for the future that would be painful, unless it's a, an impact bat that will be here past the next eight weeks, ten weeks. So I look at it this way. The Mets just basically got themselves a 500 uh, season and maybe a slight tease to the fans that they actually – want to believe, yeah, we'll have some meaningful games in August. I don't know if they'll be all that meaningful come September 1st. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I, I agree with you on the 500 part. They're going to finish 500, and especially if Darno could come back here. And that, I mean, really instantly within, you know, whenever Darno arrives back in the lineup a week, 10 days from now, whatever that's going to be, I mean, that would be, you know, they'd add three legitimate major league bats. Darno, the potential to be much more than just, you know, just a guy like Uribe and, and Kelly Johnson have been for the most part in their career. But that, that would add three bats to a lineup that, you know, a couple nights ago against Kershaw, uh, you barely had one or two that you looked at and said, all right, you know, I run these guys out there and not be embarrassed by it. So that's a help. And I, I think this entire thing with the Mets is so fascinating and just the, the conversation around them. It's been Mets talk for about a month and a half in New York, you know, just because all the pitching they have. don't exist. No, it's are boring again. You're right. It's a first-place Yankee team with no juice, and the Mets are commandeering all of the attention. But I find this fascinating, guys, because I, I think if you hook Sandy Alderson up to a lie detector, which I think every Mets fan would want to do, I think if he was being honest with all of us, he would say, I think our run is going to be from 16 to 18, when we have all these pitchers hopefully healthy and all you know, ability, the ability to go 200 innings, which not all of them have right now. And I think it's going to get tricky down the stretch of the season, especially with Syndergaard. Uh, the Matt's injury, I guess, helps because he, you know, he lost innings so he could pitch if he comes back and pitch down the stretch. But it's it's almost like they're 
they're really trying to do two things at once, appease the fans, compete, stay in it, because like you said, there's avenues to get to the postseason. But on the other hand, they don't want to mortgage this because I, I think if they're being honest with us, they would tell you next year and, and the next few years after that, that's when this team, based on the talent they have, that's when it should be at its best. Joe, how do you imagine Terry Collins now uh, filling out the lineup card with the additions of Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson? If you're going to put Uribe in the lineup and bat him you know, somewhere between you know, four and six, and have him play third base, what do you do with Wilma Flores? What do you do with Daniel Murphy? And Ruben Tejada, who I can't believe I'm saying this, might, have, might be uh, the most consistent Mets hitter over the last 10 days. Yeah, it's funny, because I think if you asked me this question a month ago, if they made the trade then, it'd be really easy. I mean, you just deal with the defense, and you put everyone back where they you know, fit the best, I guess. You put Murphy back at second base, and you'd put uh, Flores at shortstop alone, try to hit his way into being a productive player. And you'd play Uribe a third. It wouldn't be that hard. But you're right on Tejada. He's actually been, um, for them, a fairly productive hitter, gotten some big hits recently, and you don't want to just sit him down. So I think the one nice thing about the guys they brought in is there's not egos there. You know, there's not these guys. I mean, if Uribe sits for a day, even though I think he's going to play mostly every day, it's not going to be the biggest deal. I think Terry can manage it and make sure he gets the at-bats for the guys he needs and when he has more of a ground ball thrower out there to put Tejada at short, maybe sit Flores that day. Uh, the one thing about the Mets, there can't be anyone that looks at Terry and says, I have to play today, maybe besides Branderson. So he could do whatever he feels on a day-to-day basis, gives him the best chance to win, and uh, he really shouldn't get any, you know, any lip from anyone in that clubhouse because none of them have hit enough uh, to garner you know, everyday playing time, maybe with the exception of, of obviously, Granderson. Yo, Julio, WFAN, WIP, uh, joining us here on the Weekend Watchdogs. One other thing on the Mets, so if they do want to make a move, I think we're in agreement here, Joe, listening to you, that if there is a move that's not just going to be for eight weeks, it's going to be for 16, 17, hey, maybe even 18, a player that you could really control, uh, that you don't have to get into a whole bidding war this winter uh, to sign into a five, six, seven-year deal. That's a move I would say let's, you know, Fanny Alderson should make uh, this week. The pathway is interesting because he doesn't want to give up the pitchers, nor should he. The four guys will put Mats into that. You're hearing now that they may, and this is the new thing, let's trade, because Tommy John is like an oil change now. Let's put Wheeler on the block. I'm not opposed to that. I think Wheeler has got terrible mechanics. But here's two other names I'm going to give you, because one is signed at a reasonable deal, uh, and the other one is not going to be a free agent until 2018. Could you sell a team on Duda and Lagares as pieces that are controllable, cost-effective, maybe throw Wheeler in there as an upside and say these three guys in exchange for you know impact bat and maybe a, a secondary offensive piece. I don't know what that, think, that bat is, but think about that. That might be the path to improving the offense long term. It would. No, I think there is something to what you, you gave there, and I'm not sure you know, which team would bite, but I think there probably are teams that would look at Duda and say, this has been a bad two months, but he's a 30-home runner. He, they believe in what he did last year. Look at Lagaris and say, his defense is so good that if we could just get him to be a 240, 250 hitter uh, with the contract he's going to have for the next four or five years, he's going to be worth you know much more than that just because of his defense. And then Wheeler, it's funny because it's such an interesting idea, and it's really outside-the-box thinking. I heard Peter Gammon maybe about a month ago. He's the first one I saw a tweet about it saying, well, maybe the Mets would move Wheeler. And you know, if you're a team, and like you said, Tommy John, oil change, if you feel confident that he could come back, He's so much of a better bet than a prospect because mechanics, yes, he has his issues, but we know he can pitch. We know he can pitch the big league level. Prospects, 
you hope they can. So I think there'd be something that my only objective to my, uh, you know, only thing I would object to that deal or the idea of it would be for the Mets, Wheeler, Duda, and especially Ligaris, they are very, um, you know, they understand what they're going to cost. The cost certainty is there for them over the next few years. And I know Duda probably will go to arbitration and all that and he'll, he'll go up. But for the most part, you kind of pencil in, I'm sure Sandy and the Mets have penciled in, well, okay, these three guys are going to cost me this for the next three years. You bring in a big player, uh, even if that guy doesn't cost much, it opens up other holes. So where are you going to fill center? Uh, where are you going to fill first, you know, based on which player you bring back? So I like the idea. I just worry the Mets and finances, if, if they're going to give up three cost-control players they want to you know, play every day for the next few years. And three players that probably have their trade value low at this point with Lagares the year he's having offensively and his of issues. No may have to have Tommy John surgery. Wheeler coming back from Tommy John surgery and obviously due to taking a step back. Uh, let's transition over to the Yankees. Joe, you did a video piece for NJ.com. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you said this phrase, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, the Yankees are the most under-the-radar World Series contender in baseball right now. And we kind of touched upon it a little bit. Just an overall general question first. Why hasn't this team generated more excitement, more juice, uh, with the type of year that they're having, with the kind of comeback stories they have after two years of missing the playoffs? I think the biggest part, Mike, and or maybe not the biggest part, but one of them, and uh, I always found this funny. This was when I was a kid, way before I, I got into you know, talking about sports or writing about them. I always feel like when people make predictions and they're wrong, they don't want to really acknowledge it until they have to. And I'm not calling anyone out by name, just in general. I mean, most fans. I mean, a lot of people thought the Yankees would sink this year or be a 500 team, and they're better than that. And I just think people don't want to acknowledge it yet. The other thing is, they're a little bit boring. You know, the Mets have been the hot team because they're the up-and-coming team. The Yankees are supposed to be another blah year, and they're not. And I don't know how people are you – know, after we got past the A-Rod thing, which was, you know, interesting because it was out of nowhere, and he's A-Rod, and he's just kind of fallen back into the fold now. The milestones are over. He's just, you know, a really good 40-year-old DH. Uh, you know, you get past that, the Yankees are – a little bit of a boring team personality-wise. You know, the the old guard is all gone. There's no farewell tours. And, and now they're just a baseball team, which they haven't been for a long time. But I'm sure Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi love this because they could just go about their business. And, look, I felt ill in spring training. And I could go back and I could actually probably find the quote or something. But I said, look, I don't think the Yankees are a great team. I don't think they're a 70-win team like everybody said. Yeah, maybe, you know, an 85-win team. I could never have predicted. The bullpen is outstanding. That, to me, is the reason why they are where they are. But equally important, but maybe slightly less, is to share an A-Rod, where you are getting performances vintage, maybe not vintage A-Rod, but vintage to share uh, from a total, you know, you look at their OPS plus, their power, in the game today. But those two guys, that's the key. I could never have predicted that, Joe. And to me... The bullpen was going to be good. It's better than even I thought, but that was always going to be a strength. But those two guys, that's the difference because the starting rotation, I keep hearing about Tanaka and Pineda and how dangerous they are in a short series, maybe, but they don't pitch like it. So i got to go by what I see out there. I'm with you on A-Rod and Cher. I, I did a, a video a couple weeks ago uh, for NJ.com on them. It's amazing. You look at their numbers, and you mentioned OPS Plus and all that. Look at their numbers compared to 2009 where A-Rod – 
came back off the hip surgery in May, and then he was amazing the rest of the way. He went 3,100, uh, and then obviously what he did in October. And to share it, I believe he finished second in the MVP that year, his first year with the Yankees. They're on par with the numbers they put up that year. I mean, that was six years ago. Uh, a hip surgery later for A-Rod, the suspension, to share with all his problems with the wrist. It is, it's the most amazing comeback story for a 3-4 combo. I, I mean, you can't even script that. They're back. I mean, they are back and worth their money again. And it is the biggest reason their offense is so good. And when you add in Ellsbury and Gardner, who we, you know, we knew were going to coming into the year would be good, and then McCann, who, uh, talk about under the radar, he's just, you know, you just pencil in 20 home runs every year as a catcher, which is really good. Uh, that's a really good one through three, you know, one, two, two, three, four, five in your order. Uh, and in a league where not many teams hit, uh, they hit enough. Uh, certainly they hit more than enough. You know, the Yankees still may need to add another starter. Some talks about Matt Latos, possibly. And, you know, Michael Pineda, when he's on, can be an ace. Wasn't on last night when they get uh, blown out by the Twins in Minnesota. 10-1, Phil Hughes picking up the win. And obviously another name that's out there, and you're very close right now to the Phillies, is Cole Hamels. Uh, So what's the latest on Hamels? What the potential suitors uh, could be. I've heard Peter Gavins talk about the Dodgers looking to bring in Hamels because of the uncertainty with Granky at beyond this year. So what's going on with Hamels overall, and could the Yankees be a possible suitor there? You know, with the Hamels thing, it's it really is um, kind of a mess because, you know, I think they, they desperately want to move him, but they're in a flux with their front office. They brought in Andy McPhail last month, uh, the ex-president of the Baltimore Orioles, to be their new president uh, when Pat Gillick retires. So you have a three-headed monster in the front office, but I don't think anyone really understands who's in charge. Amaro is still the point man. He's still the GM. He, I, I'm pretty sure he's the one still doing the day-to-day work, making the phone calls, but he doesn't have any real power to say yes or no. Then you have Pat Gillick, who's almost 80 years old and wants, you know, has one foot out the door, but he's still technically in charge, and McPhail, who's there, but not really taking over until the end of the season. So there is a sentiment that's really brewed the last couple of weeks that the Phillies are just going to wait on this until they have a, a better structure with McPhail in charge uh, in the offseason. That being said, if they get a great offer with a, you know, a great prospect or two, they're going to take it now because it would be silly not to and you know, risk injury with Hamill the rest of the year. I think the Dodgers, like Gammons would say, make the most sense. And if you line up the way Kershaw and Granke are pitching and you throw Hamels behind them, they'd probably be the favorite to you know, at least get to the World Series, if not win the whole thing. So I think that makes sense. As far as the Yankees and a pitcher, I mean, they could certainly use an upgrade. I mean, you could always want to upgrade. You know, Tanaka and Pineda are fine at the top, but they could use more uh, in the, you know, the behind them, three, four, five. My only question with the Yankees is, I've started to believe Brian Cashman the last two years. We never used to believe him that he's not going to go into the stash of the really good prospects, Severino, Bird, Aaron Judge. Three years ago, you say that people laugh at you, like, oh, yeah, the Yankees will trade whoever they have to, you know, when it's a pennant race. I've started to believe Brian Cashman here. It's been a few years now where he said that, and he hasn't done it. So I could see them upgrading marginally, maybe Latos, but I don't think they're going to be in on the big ones. I think he's going to stand pat again. Joe, on Hamels, and I'm surprised because you see him pitch well against the Mets. You know, the Mets hit him. He hasn't had a good year. He's 31. He's a below-league average pitcher this year. Now, I know last year he had a, a you know, 9-9 record, but he's certainly you know, over 200 innings. He was sixth in the Cy Young uh, voting. But the year before wasn't great in 2013. He's 31 years old. He's owed a lot of money. You know, 
Phillies, you know, look, just look at the Phillies with Cliff Lee, who's going to retire or probably wait for his buyout uh, before he does that, a $12.5 million bucks. Uh, you know, Dodgers as a third starter, I get that. I don't know, unless a pennant race is going to juice this guy up, are you getting a guy on the back end of the wrong side of 30 now? Is that the, is that the Cole Hamels that you're getting? It's a good question. I'm sure the Phillies are dealing with this and, and not happy about it. He picked the bad time to have a couple bad starts. Now, uh, his numbers right now, and you're right with the numbers you threw out there, but before his last two starts, I mean, he's got absolutely rocked his last two starts. A couple starts ago, a Friday night before the All-Star game in San Francisco, maybe the worst start I've ever seen him pitch. I mean, he, he couldn't, he had nothing, and they were just rocking him. And then his last start last Sunday against the Marlins, basically the same thing. Before that, I think his ERA was about 3.02, and he had a pretty good run uh, from about early May to late June where he was, you know, the Cole Hamels that people would want, any team would want. And now he's gone backwards a little bit. So they're selling him on consistency. You look at him, you know, since what, 2006, 2007, every year 30 starts, every year the ERA, probably somewhere between 2.8 and 3.5, maybe one year a little bit above that. Uh, when he didn't have a good year in 09. But he's one of the more consistent and durable lefties in the game. That's what they're selling. I think he's really good, uh, but there are questions. I mean, a couple weeks ago he missed a start with a hamstring injury, and since then his ERA's been over eight. Is, is he okay? Is he completely fine? And if he's not, well, you know, that complicates things more because no one's going to buy damaged goods for that kind of money. So, Joe, what do you have coming up? I know you're on WIP, WFAN, NJ Advanced Media. You do the videos, a uh, ton of stuff going on, which is a good thing in the business. Give the listeners uh, a little flavor of uh, what they could expect from you as we head into the trade deadline, into the back half of the baseball season, and, of course, football coming up uh, just around the corner. No doubt. Yeah, I'll be on uh, WIP tonight right after the Cubs and Phillies. Uh, doing the, uh, we have a show called The Final Out. Uh, it's kind of a bridge from you know the post game that the network does back into regular sports talk. So I'll be doing that. And it could be uh, Hamill's next start after this is scheduled for the 30th, Thursday the 30th. Uh, but you guys know, I mean, if there's a deal closed, he'll be scratching that start. So today could be Cole Hamill's final start as a Philly. I'll be on after the game uh, on uh, Monday morning for the uh, – Monday night, whatever you call it, the overnight show heading into the week, uh, and then some shows coming up uh, next weekend as well, and then NJ.com for some videos and a lot of trade deadline stuff. Uh, should be a fun week, guys. Uh, this is always one of my favorite weeks of the year. Training camp starts football and the baseball trade deadline. And before you go, one thing I just thought of, more annoying as you do your uh, late-night uh, radio, Phillies fans, Mets fans, or I'll even throw Yankee fans in there. I think the Phillies fans are the most annoying out of the three if uh, you're talk show host. That's a good question. Most annoying in the <laughs> overnight. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll put it this way because I don't want to. I don't want to say anyone's the most annoying. But I'll say this: uh, the most creative, uh, the most uh, outside the box thinkers always are the Mets fans. But the trade, the trade ideas I hear from Mets fans are always my favorite. You know, we'll trade. You know, prospect C and prospect D, and we'll get back Paul Goldschmidt. And we'll be all right. And I just, yep. Just shake your head and say, you know what? God bless you. That, that's a uh, that's very creative mind you have there. Hey, Joe. Thanks a lot. Coming up uh, early on a Saturday morning. Enjoy uh, the rest of the weekend, and we'll talk soon, okay? You got it. Take care, guys. Joe Giglio, at Joe Giglio Sports on Twitter. Check him out, WFANWIP uh, down in Philly. Hey, Joe, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get into the Yankees, talk more baseball. Uh, if you want to give us a call, we'll, we'll get to the phone, 646-716-8187. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Uh, listen to us live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We're taking you all the way up to noon. We'll be back right after this.
A disagreement between the weekend watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will sure. spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the, the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. So the New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big more. They did this. They're they're done. Extreme, and they're not go. done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> They can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect example. They can example. with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. Why? Mike Silva and Joe Bono taking you all the way up to noon. The weekend watchdogs. People on hold. Uh, you know, you keep playing the disagreement that we had, I think, on our first show back in December of 2013. And you, you know, why don't you make a PSA about me saying that the Yankees are gonna, you know, they're gonna, you know, I think they're gonna run away with the American League East, or that, that other than the Royals, that they're gonna go to the World Series. So, you know, of course, it's only, you know, only things about, you know, Frank Isola trashing the, the Knicks and me going off on Brooklyn and me going off on the Yankees, all this stuff when I wax poetic about all of those things, uh, you know, you don't, you don't put out there. I'm very low on production time Monday through Friday these days. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Hey, let's go out to uh, Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, let's see what we got here. 631 uh, You're on the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva, Joe Bono. How you doing? And how you doing there, Mike? And how you doing, Joe? Uh, great to listen to your show. It's uh, nothing Thanks. like listening to a season-long baseball. Right? So, there you go. Uh, okay, got a couple of things for you. First of all, I did predict that the Yankees would win the American League East. I also predicted that A-Rod would not play for the Yankees this year, and I predicted the White Sox to win the Central Division, so take your pick, okay, on all those three. <laughs> this uh, is, and I got Lenny, Lenny, this is Lenny Melnick, if I'm not uh, mistaken, correct? Yes, it is. Lenny from Long Island. <laughs> Lenny from Long Island. So, Lenny, Lenny, at least you call up and you admitted that you were wrong. Um, uh, not only were you wrong, you were dead wrong with all those predictions, aren't we? Well, no, I predicted the Yankees to win. This, oh, you the, did. I'm sorry. Yeah, I the Yankees to win. One, one out of three. And one, one out of three, three. gets into the Hall of Fame. Never, th- never thought A-Rod was even going to play a game for the Yankees this year. And also loved the White Sox and what they did in the offseason. And that went into the tank. So, you know, I'm still struggling along. We'll see. If the Yankees win, that's good enough for me. But I think, you know... Um, living in New York, and of course, like you guys just mentioned, the Mets are getting all the attention because of their crappy team. But it's not a crappy team. Uh, th- that's the whole point. But here's the thing about the well, Yankees. I think Brian Cashman could uh, could be the fall guy. If he if he there's there's an obvious. I think the Yankees have an obvious move to make. And I think what they have to do is keep that bullpen intact, make sure that they don't burn out Miller or Betances. And I, I think they can steal. I don't see them getting Kimbrell or Chapman, giving up any players. But they could get Jonathan Papelbon. 
and put him in the bullpen to close the games, have have Betances and Miller for the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, and that seals the deal for the Yankees. Also, at the same time, and you know, you guys know it because you guys are veterans of Major League Baseball. You know the action. How many times have you seen a veteran player put on the Yankee pinstripes? And I think Chase Utley could play second base for the Yankees. So that's I think a, it comes. See, that's an interesting thing. The mat, the Yankee bounce, Lenny. Have you heard about the the Yankee bump? I call it the Yankee Yeah. Bump. So I, I think I think a combination of Utley and Papelbon, and I think Philadelphia would give him away. Of course, they got the thirteen million dollars for Papelbon that kicks in next year. But okay, you know what? That bullpen in the mode of Kansas City with Herrera and uh, you know and. Uh, Wade Davis and and uh, uh, Holland. Uh, that's what the Yankees. That, that's a locked. Now they're done. That's it. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't hate the idea of taking the flyer on Chase Huntley as at his advantage. Not he has a bad a, idea. Yeah, but he has a buyout. I think of about a couple million dollars on his contract next year. The Yankees hat would have to pay a couple million mm-hmm. dollars. The Papelbon. I mean, listen. I think if Papelbon went to a team like the Yankees, number one, not. Uh, highly regarded as far as a clubhouse guy. Also, I don't think you're sh- you're shaking up the eighth or ninth inning at all. He would be a seventh inning guy, if anything, on this team. And I don't think you um, are looking to take back that much salary for a seventh inning guy, even though I understand the thinking. I think as long as you have the Batances and Miller combo, uh, that's not where you're going to spend your money and give up your prospects, in my opinion. Well, but I do, I do like the idea yeah. Of bringing in Utley because I don't we've think seen you guys get resurrected. Yeah, you don't have to give up a lot. I see you get resurrected. Now, you know, maybe Utley wants to just finish his career in Philadelphia. I'm not sure if he'll have that option if he wants to return next year. Um, now, but, Lenny, uh, I like that. Lenny. Yes. Here's another thing. Is there a way you could get make it a threesome? And I mean that in a in the cleanest PG way with uh, yes. Cole Hamels in that deal. No, uh, here's the deal with Hamels. Uh, I would be shocked if he doesn't go to the Texas Rangers. And, of course, in the Texas thinking, they're not thinking about this year. Texas Rangers are enamored with the idea of having Hugh Darvish, who we've all forgot about, right? (laughs) Hugh Darvish and Cole Hamels as their two pitchers Mm. for next year. That's something that the Rangers have never had. And Joey Gallo is the guy that they're dangling, and they're they're pursuing this deal. They are hot and heavy into this deal. Joey Gallo in exchange for Cole Hamels, and there's probably more to it. I but, mean, I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm, the Phillies would sign up in a jump, second. Jump. If, if Ruben, of, and I don't know if Ruben has all the power anymore, as Joe Giglio of, of WIP, WFAN said, that right. there's a lot of bit, bit of a shakeup in that front office. It just straight up, you have to jump on that. Because I pointed out in the, uh, in the last uh, segment, uh, Lenny, that Hamels is, is having a bad year, and he's 31, and he's on the wrong side of 30. You see what Cliff Lee, I understand he's hurt, and he gave you some good years post-30. You don't know what's going to happen as these guys with, with some innings and some mileage get into their 30s, what's going to happen. So if that's what's being offered, I think Texas is taking the bigger risk by giving uh-huh. up a commodity in this day and age, which is not easy to get, which is power. I think that's a good deal for the Phillies. I don't know if I like that for the Rangers, I'll tell you that. Well, uh, to start the year, something that Texas has never had, two stud pitchers, if, as you say, if, Hamels is what he is, and of course he'll never be what he has been pitching in Texas in the American League. But uh, for the purposes of the Rangers, who who like the Colorado Rockies, it's time. There's certain organizations who have fit a mold for so many years. Texas has always been a team rich in hitting without any real 
big-time pitching. Colorado has been the same way. It's time for these teams to really shake it up. I don't know what Colorado can do, but I certainly know that Texas has the ability of doing it. I know firsthand that the Rangers would love to make this deal. Now, I I think there's more to it than Gallo. I don't know what it is, but that's the focal point, and I think think it's good. And as a longtime Mets fan, I'm excited to see Kelly Johnson finally on this ball club. Uh, But... (laughs) But, you know, it's it's really exciting because Mets fans are killing Sandy Alderson. And I get asked this one question. You guys are Mets fans. You know, well, I, I think, uh, I think I you are it. anyway. But here's the deal. At the beginning of the year when the Mets got off to such a good start, how come we didn't talk about the fact that we had New in house and we had Campbell and we had and we had uh, uh, the guy who was cut today, uh, Mayberry? How come nobody complained then about having no bench? What are they going to do now? They're going to get Kelly Johnson. They're going to get Juan Uribe for the second wild card berth. I mean, it's ridiculous. Next year is when it counts. Next year is when it counts. They'll sign Justin Upton in the off season. They'll do something. They'll get another bat. And- I think I uh, I think I clicked off. Oh, did I get let me, Sorry, I cl- I think I clicked on you by accident. Are you still there? That's, I've been clicked on before. I've been dumped on. I've been spit on. You know, it's not a problem. <laughs> well, listen, all right, Lenny. And again, I thank you. Thanks so much for the call. I I think where I disagree with Lenny and I disagree with Joe Gilio. Well, I don't disagree with him. I think he was saying if you had the truth serum for Sandy Alderson, he would say it's about 2016 for the Mets. And Mike, we we were doing shows in 2013. And if in August 2013, prior to Harvey going down with his Tommy John surgery, 2014 was the year that they were supposed to become relevant. Oh, we know, we know why. And then that, and then that happened, and that got punted. And now 2015, especially after an 11 game uh, winning streak in April, was supposed to be relevant. So I'm not right. playing this 2016 game when you're three games behind in the division, three and a half games out. I know four in the loss column in both scenarios, um, there's still an opportunity here for this year to be something more than just try to get over 500 and look to 2016. And I don't, I don't see them making a move for Justin Upton uh, next year. And honestly, you look at the free agent list in Major League Baseball, it's, not, it's still going to be a trade market type scenario to bring in a big-time bat. There's not a lot out there. You're you know, spend good money I was thinking about what Lenny just said about the Yankees. Now, here's the problem with that deal. I mean, and, I, and I'm trying to see if there's an update on this. Um, but, Col- I mean, uh, Chase Utley's on the uh, disabled list with ankle infl- inflammation, got a cortisone shot. Um, you know, I didn't know what the status was. Uh, the Phillies are so far off the radar right now. And, um, you know, that's not good. So that's the first, you know, monkey wrench in the whole thing, unless the Yankees just want to take on whatever is remaining this year, give up absolutely nothing, and, and feel that, like, like Lenny said, the Yankee bump would, would Utley's ankle miraculously heal and can he be vintage Ch- Chase Utley for you know six weeks or whatever it may be? Who knows? What he's talking about, Lenny, in that scenario is that to go out and get a Cole Hamels, to get a Johnny Cueto, maybe even a Matt Latos, maybe, you're going to have to give up maybe a prospect that you don't want to. Um, but to go out and take on salary to really bring in another bullpen arm and then say, you know what, let me get my pitchers through five innings, even in a postseason game, do what the 2006 Mets tried to do and just stack that bullpen, it's not a crazy move because, again, you go and you look at Cole Hamels. He's not having a great year, and you take him on with a lot of money and give him top prospects, 
I listen. If I'm Texas, I don't do that deal and give up Joey Gallo, a power hitting prospect. No, you no. cannot give up power. Give a demanded base right now. You cannot give up power now. Cueto, Cueto is a free agent, and he's certainly, I think, better at this year for sure than than um, than Hamels. He's 29. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to make sure but I get me, the numbers. Here in right. the Yankees, here in the Yankees, that they want to, they're looking at someone like Matt Latos. Um, tells me that what Joe Giglio said is true, is that they're not looking to give up their big-time prospects, that the Yankees have spent now a number of years trying to redevelop this farm system into not the laughing stock of baseball anymore. And it is a viable farm system now with some guys that are on the precipice making impacts at the major league level on an everyday basis, and they're not looking to trade those guys for a Hamels, for a Cueto, so they're looking for a Matt Latos type pitcher, a Brandon McCarthy, like I mentioned last week, type pitcher that can just solidify this rotation for the rest of the season and maybe pitch a game three or game four in a long series. Um, so the Yankees might just be saying, we know that we're going to have to go with Tanaka and Pineda and hope that we get the good Tanaka and the good Pineda come our short series. And uh, hopefully we get some more depth in that rotation to solidify it, to make sure we put ourselves in that position to win the AL East. I mean, Latos is a guy that you'll get. His peripherals are much better than the 4.48 ERA. He's, he's, he's a, 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 almost a strikeout per inning. His walks are very reasonable under three. He's do, is he an he's upgrade? <laughs> his numbers well, look like Devaldi's numbers on the on the. He's on the had a better look. Year. He's. You know, he's a 200-inning pitcher who actually uh, has been pitching at a higher level. But you're not wrong. I mean, Ivaldi is not a, a guy who's pitched to, uh, you know, 120 ERA+. plus. You know, 20% below league average. He hasn't done that. Uh, but is he really any better than Ivan Nova? That I don't know. See, that to me, you look at other than the fact that he's got experience and he's got a, a little bit more of a pedigree on that, uh, on that front. Uh, guy who's won 14 games three times. I, I'll tell you what, the more I think oh, well, about it... I mean, Latos had great years when he was with the, the Padres. He burst on he had the one scene really great year. Cincinnati, he went to a really tough ballpark right. to pitch in, and, right. you know, is kind of trying to reestablish himself, um, but his stuff isn't as good as it was certainly in San Diego uh, a few years back. Yeah. You know, that might be the path. I mean, I, I don't know what the... Uh, the, the Yankees are going to do. They, they, unlike prior years where there's really been a focus or the leaks on, well, this is where they're going, it's been very quiet. I, I don't think they're going to give up a big prospect. I think they're going to really be careful about that. Because remember, Aaron and Teixeira, I know you laugh about it and I keep saying it, Joe, that, that party could end at any time. So you have your, your, your power guys, you have your young outfielders, you have guys that you may want to look at, you have to be careful about what you give away. You have a very old, aging offense. The only other thing you could ask is, are they able to go out and get a second baseman, upgrade from Stephen Drew? I think Joe Girardi would be heartbroken, because Joe Girardi finds every reason to, to make Stephen Drew. Oh, wow. I mean, that was the news from early. Better. That was the new Sunday. People were shocked uh, because of what Girardi said. And we talked about the miscommunication with the Mets so often, a very rare misstep uh, by Joe Girardi and the Yankees organization, just from a public PR standpoint, where he said this is not going to be uh, just a two-week tryout for Rob Snyder. 
And it ultimately be he ultimately, if you want to look at his words, he was right. It wasn't a two week. It was a four day tryout for Ref Snyder. And you know, you look at numbers, you look at salary, and they were not willing to uh, DFA designate for assignment Stephen Drew at this point of the year. And Ref Snyder went back um, to no fault of his own. You know, played adequately at second base, hit a home run in Boston. Um, so, but I listen. I, I we we laugh about the Yankee bump or the Yankee bounce, or whatever you call it, but look no further than Chris Young this year. And, I, you know, a Mets fan called up a show I was listening to talking about, you know, why didn't the Mets sign Chris Young to do this and be the right-handed bat that could hit lefties? <laughs> and it's like, well, they, well, they, well they, did, they did sign him to do that and more. The guy was completely ineffective in any situation that they put him into. That's like sure. the Yankees will go sign John Mayberry Jr. next year and he'll bat 310, 330 off, off left Why, why next we'll year? Go, bring him in this year. Bring, bring him in for right run. Just bring him in. Have um, uh, uh, Garrett Jones uh, out there. Uh, he's lefty, of course, Garrett Jones. But, yes, that, that, that's, that's neither here nor there. According, and this is from the, uh, one of your Fordham buddies, Kenny Ducey, who's actually been on the show a while back. He's made a lot of strides. They don't feel like our show propelled Kenny. He's on, like, a nobody from... <laughs> From Kenny's Florida. a, and now Kenny's he's, a uh, very Kenny active NBA guy. Yeah, baseball it's, prospectus. It's about the graduated. money, a Yankees blog, uh, AP mm-hmm. reporter, freelance radio, all this other stuff. But Kenny gave us the baseball prospectus odds for World Series champions right now. L.A. Dodgers, 17%. And then St. Louis, 11.2% if you want to get into the percentages. And the Yankees, 11.1%. So the Yankees have as good of a chance at winning the World Series as, as the Cardinals. Dodgers, of course, right now, number one. I think Dodgers are real tough, especially if they were to go out and get someone like Cole Hamels to slide in number three. I think that's, it costs a lot of money to do that, but because they're a team with the, uh, the venture capital money behind it, they will, uh, they will certainly not hesitate to take on a big contract. And before we take a break, because I do want to take a break and get into the Hall of Fame, and we'll talk more Yankees, Mets, we'll talk baseball in the 11 o'clock hour, how annoying will Magic Johnson's tweets be if the Dodgers are in the World Series? How Captain Obvious will they be? And how annoying will they be? There's the question for you, Joe, if the Dodgers are in the World Series. Any more annoying than some people would say Mike the tweets are throughout the course of the game. By the oh, way, I was back. impressed, and we'll move on, but I was impressed that John Heyman actually responded to you. John, John follows me. I know, John has he, followed he felt me. one thing to follow, and, but it's another thing to be like, hey, Mike. You know, you know what it means to beat a dead horse. <laughs> I just love like the uh, I love statement. the interaction. John started following me right about the time that I wrote a piece at my old baseball blog, NY Baseball Digest. May it rest in peace. Defending the fact that he, I believe, he did not vote for Burt Blylevin for the Hall of Fame. And there was, I mean, they torched this poor guy. They, you know, how can he like Burt Blylevin? I believe when I really start to look at it, it was a whole thing. 14, right? 14 or 15 was the last one? Basically for the last year. Yeah, I'll look that up. And I'm like, the guy has a right to his opinion. He, You may not agree with it, but that was an era when a lot of these stat guys were starting to get into the entire concept of, well, you could make everything uh, 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 an algorithm, including the Hall of Fame, and you just can't. Guy's a writer. He's done a great job. He's built a brand, especially through the rumor mill. 
And I, I defend him like this is ridiculous. He has a right to vote. Do we agree? Maybe not. But and John, I think always appreciated that because, uh, uh, you know, that's that's something that uh, that uh, that, uh, that 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 not everybody was doing at the time. So I have another John Heyman story. I probably it's nothing bad, but I probably I'll tell it on the next break. So I'll give you a, a you know I don't think it's anything that he's gonna get angry about. Anyway, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Taking you all the way up till noon. Listen to us live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. When we come back, get into a little Hall of Fame. It's Hall of Fame weekend. Talk more Mets. Talk more Yankees. You want to give us a call? The number is 646-716-8187. We'll be right back. Legendary Boston Globe columnist Bob Ryan joined the Weekend Watchdogs. Is the game worse? Is it different? You know, what is your opinion on where the NBA has gone? It's still the best basketball in the world with the, with the best athletic basketball players, and the coaching is phenomenal. Uh, it, it, the defenses are sophisticated. It's hard to score in this league now. What I don't like about the game and why I don't like it as much as I once did, but I still like it, is the, uh, the, the three-point shot has completely taken over the game. It's distorted the game at every level. I, 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 would, I, I know it's, we're never going to get rid of it, but I, I just don't think it's been a good thing for the game, uh, and it's caused the style of play. Uh, and that it's not as enjoyable as it once was. The, the, the disappearance of true post people uh, is, a, is a problem. Uh, and the biggest, biggest thing is the, the lost art of the true fast break. To hear guests on the NBA and more, tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. <laughs> Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs, 646-716-8187, weekendwatchdogs.com. Uh, send us a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, at jbono611. So real quick, before we get to the Hall of Fame, so again, going back to my old baseball blog, which rankled a lot of people uh, from time to time. Great word uh, there, rankled. Rankled. So one of the, and, and I let contributors write stuff, and we had some stringers, you know, no-name people that would, like myself, trying to put a name out there. So I, I think one of my contributors, it was a Saturday morning, I remember, put something up and threw in the piece, and, he, this, and I'm paraphrasing, not maybe 100% accurate, but the, the, the paraphrase was, they quoted John Heyman, they disagreed with something Heyman said, and they said, John Heyman noted Scott Boris' puppet in the article. And everyone's accused Heyman of being in Boris's back pocket for rumor mill purposes. I, doesn't matter to me. In this business, if you don't, if you do the rumor mill and you're not partnering with agents, and agents are going to give you information as a way to strategically uh, place their client, that's just a game. So, like the old saying, hate, don't hate the player, hate the game. I guess is what you could use there. So within maybe ten minutes of that post going up, my phone rings, a number I didn't recognize, and I go, "Hello, Mike, John Heyman." And I'm like, "I knew what was coming on this one," and we had a nice chat. And uh, I thought in the vein of being an editorial, in the editorial portion, I was always not about censorship. I wound up editing that sentence because you know, John felt it wasn't professional or correct. And I said, well, you know what, I agree. So I, I did, and I think, you know, I think John has always respected the fact that I'm like, hey, look, you know, I'm, I, although I'm in the you know, minor leagues of media or the nowhere leagues, depending on who you talk to at WFAN, I always felt like, hey, you know, I don't want to 
put anything out there that I wouldn't say to somebody in their, at, to their face at a ballpark, including players. So that's uh, my second John Heyman story. But that was weird. I was wouldn't, sitting there. Uh, and as as the, given the amount of money Scott Boris makes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being in his back pocket. <laughs> yeah, but he's not probably, he probably, you're right. He's probably not good. So anyway, Hall of Fame weekend, Joe. Um, you know, we talk Hall of Fame in January, and that's when you get a lot of the debate. You got Pedro Martinez, you got John Smoltz, you got Craig Beasley, you got Randy Johnson, all the players you and I watched growing up in the quote unquote steroid era. So here's a couple of proclamations I made, statistically based, that I want to get your take on. And I think I always mock when Sports Illustrated would say the best pitcher ever, and they put someone on the front, or when Bryce Harper's on the cover, and they're anointing him the next Mickey Mantle, or whatever they do. But I can honestly say that you really, when you dissect it, that Pedro Martinez is, at the very least, his 2000 season was the best individual season in the history, pitching performance in the history of baseball. And you can argue, because of the era he pitched in, that Pedro Martinez might be, and you could probably say maybe 1A, Greg Maddox is right there, the best pitchers in the history of baseball. Because of the fact that they had to perform at the elite level that the Kofaxes and the Gibsons did in an era where offense was out of control with smaller ballparks, what have you. And I think there's very little, there could be debate, but I think the, the debate falls more in favor of what I'm saying than those who uh, are the hardliners from yesteryear. Listen, I think what Peter Martinez did, um, and really what Randy Johnson did um, as well in this era of, that was really known um, for the steroids and the inflated ERAs. I mean, you know, look no further than, you know, you look at some of the Met teams that were the good Met teams, and you look at the ERAs of guys like Al Leiter and Rick Reed, and those are just kind of middle-of-the-road John Neese, uh, you know, Michael Pineda-type numbers of a high three, low fours. I mean, these guys did things uh, that no one else was doing. There was a huge gap between what Pedro Martinez, Randy, Randy Johnson, you know, even Kurt Schilling at certain times uh, were doing as pitchers and what the majority was. And I think it, it's gotten much, much tighter in starting pitching over the last decade or so. You know, Jay Jaffe for SA.com actually um, did a whole piece about, is this the best pitching class of all time going in to, to the Hall of Fame at once? And um, he used, you know, the Jaws advanced stats to kind of come up with it and really outside of just the inaugural class which included walter johnson and christy matthewson um in 1936 he ranked this one the highest uh randy johnson pedro martinez john smoltz and even made the point that if you take away john smoltz three and a half years as a reliever and if he was a starter and pitched to what he had done as a starter they could have end up being the number one class and you know, and Craig Biggio kind of is like a, you know, he went, he was so close, Mike, to being the only guy yeah, now he's, elected. He's an afterthought and now he's an afterthought, the poor guy. And I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a compiler, but that's a debate. You know, that's a boring debate that we could have. Here's how interesting, we'll go back to the quote-unquote, because you have to name errors, the steroid era. If you use ERA plus and only on those that were, qualified for the ERA title throughout the history of baseball. And all ERA Plus does is measure the ERA versus the leagues and the ballparks of that era. So it's basically taking apples to apples and putting it in the context of that offensive era. Here are the top 10 
individual season performances in the history of baseball as of today. Pedro Martinez's 2000 season, where he was 18-6 with a 1.74 ERA. Number two, and again, this could change because it's in progress, Zach Grinke, 2015. 131 innings, 1.30 ERA, a 9-2 record. Maybe pitching against the New York Mets tomorrow. So that very likely is about to go south, the ERA. And probably, <laughs> so, at its, now, Pedro's ERA is 291. ERA plus, excuse me. Granke's is 284. I don't know how the math will work after the start against the Mets, but after this weekend, Granke is on pace to have the equivalent of the Pedro Martinez 2000 and maybe on pace to have the best individual season based on this stat in the history of baseball. Think about that. And you want to criticize the steroid era, here are three through ten of top season history of baseball. Number three, Greg Maddox, 1994. Number four, Greg Maddox, 1995. Number five, Bob Gibson, 1968. Number six, Dwight Gooden, 1985. Number seven, Roger Clemens, 2005 with the Astros, believe it or not. Number eight, Roger Clemens, 1997 with Toronto. Number nine, 1997, Pedro Martinez with the Expos. Number 10, the infamous, or should I say the famous, Cy Young in 1901. That's the top 10 individual. And out of the Gibson, Gooden, Cy Young, those three, seven of the top 10 are in the quote-unquote steroid era. And well, guys that know have one of them that has been rumored for being a big part of the steroid performance enhancing drugs era with with Clemens, and then the other ones are on the you know the Maddox ones. Are, that's kind of I mean, do you look at ninety three, ninety four, ninety five as the steroid era? To me, it really starts in oh. ninety eight. No, I think you go back to the late eighties. I mean, I think they. I think look. 94, 95 where, where it was right so there. where it was so rampant throughout the entire league where everybody was hitting forty home runs. Yo, forget I about mean, steroids for a second. Look at Maddox's nineteen ninety four, one point five six ERA, sixteen and six, uh, and that's strike shortened season. Yeah, but I don't recall uh, the power numbers in Major League Baseball in ninety four being what they were four or five years later. I think it certainly got crazy 98, 99, 2000, but I think 95, 96, you started to see crazy home runs. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, you know, uh, 95, I believe, McGuire in one of those years had 52 home runs. I think you started to see, and I think it only got increased. I mean, 1996 is when Ken Caminiti, who won the MVP, and the late Ken Caminiti. Yeah, Matt Williams, when he was at the Giants. Yeah, I mean, 94, you had runs break. Tony Gwynn hitting 400. I mean, the offense just exploded. I mean, you could debate that till the cows come home. It doesn't really matter. But here's the thing I go back to last week. Greatest living pitcher all time, Sandy Koufax. Doesn't come up. His individual 1966 season, 1.73 ERA, 27-9, doesn't come up to number 28 on this list. If you look at ERA+, plus, that's a 190 ERA+. plus. That's a huge, that's great. I'm talking about great seasons. This is behind Randy Johnson in 95, more Pedro Martinez, Zach Greinke in 2009, Ron Guidry's 1978, Kevin Brown with the Marlins in 1996 when he won 17 mm-hmm. games. So, you know, greatest living pitcher all time. How has helped? I keep saying, Dodger <laughs> well, Stadium, depressed offensive era. And I know all the, you know, old fart Dodger fans are throwing their ha- you know, hands up, and I understand the Jewish community loves 
you know, Sandy Koufax, this is not a knock on, 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 I have plenty of friends who are Jews, I'll be honest. But let's be fair, greatest living pitcher all time. I don't know. Well, maybe they now, wanted maybe to make sure. Stopped, maybe, maybe if you look at the age of the greatest living players, maybe they just wanted to make sure they gave them one more honor, figuring they can do this again in 10 to 15 years and uh, get everyone else on the list in there in that we conversation. Certainly know, we certainly know Sandy Koufax's choices in managers. It's certainly not all I think. And anyway, that. Mike, I wanted to you know bring up you know you bring up uh, Granky and he's had one of the more unusual careers. You know, a guy Social as highly anxiety. touted as he was, yeah. you know, yep. came up at 20 years old on a bad Royals team, led the league in losses, I think, in 2005. I think he had you know, 17, 18 losses. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, 2008 comes around, and he ends up winning a Cy Young, 16-8. and eight. Next year, though, reverses track 10-14, ERA above four. And then he goes through a stretch where he's a – you know, a solid, he was winning double-digit games, but he's 3-5, 3-8, somewhere around there. And then now these last three years with the Dodgers, 15 and 4, 2.63, 17 and 8, 2.71, 9-2 now, you know, the 1.30. It's a right. very strange career where a guy... And I remember he, when... He had a point. He had a point where you thought he had figured it out, and then he lost it again, and then he's figured it out even better um, right around this... You know, 30, and I couldn't, be, I couldn't be any ro- more wrong when uh, the Yankees were looking to get him, you know, I think it was 2010, somewhere around when he was heading for uh, free agency. And um, basically, I said, look, the guy's got social anxiety. He's definitely had an interesting personal narrative. Stay away from this guy in New York. Now he goes out to L.A., which isn't New York, but it's a big market. But it is different. And uh, he's done really well. Look, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, it's uh, our buddy Drew from Bayshore, who probably was looking for us last week, but you and I had to be on summer hours because you decided to go to the beach in uh, thunderstorm. And I, did, and I, did, and I did get to the beach, and I did. By the way, I know you were um, wishing that the clouds and the storms would, would stay, but I got up to New Canaan, went to my beach in Westport. It was a private beach. Sure. Was Chris Russo there? That my friends were, uh, you know, grand, literally grandfathered in because, like, the guy's great great grandfather, and they have a house. They have a house there. It's like a clubhouse, but it's an actual house with a kitchen and living room where just the members can use. And uh, they were having a lobster uh, feast uh, later on that night, which we had to leave because I. I would die if I had a piece of lobster because I'm so allergic. Bougie Joe Bono. Uh, and Joe <laughs> turned very bougie. And and I I only wanted to do the summer hours during the Fourth of July, but of course I accommodated Joe Bono for his day at the beach. So we missed you last week. You you uh, you are one of our loyal listeners that calls in. So Thank how you, you doing? Thank you. What's going on? Good, good. You know, I just got finished my run. I tuned in. I tuned in. Wanted to talk to you about this big trade that came after a press conference in which he basically said he wants to see more. I mean. You know, I, my problem is, I think with the people that he just brought in, it's going to be too little too late. Uh, you know, I, I was hoping that it would be somebody a little more substantive. Uh, but, you know, bringing in Uribe and Kelly Johnson, I, what do you think is going to happen now? I mean, are they going to bench Duda, move Murphy to first, start Uribe, no. and then bench Ford? No, I, I, think, I, think you have to look at, I think you have to look at it. Do you want... The defense up the middle, and um, and if you read Sandy Alderson's book, 
Wilma Flores has had issues at shortstop for a long time, even back to Little League. That was something interesting. Uh, I read Sam right. Nielsen's book recently. I think you got to look at it this way. You could put Kelly Johnson at second and sit Flores. You could put Uribe at third uh, and, and platoon him with, um, with, uh, with Murphy. I think Johnson could play the outfield. I think that's uh, a corner outfield that's spot or something there. I think those guys, I think you're going to mix and match. I think it's going to be based on matchup. Uh, I, lineup-wise, Collins doesn't really – look, to me, a manager's biggest asset and the only thing he, he needs to really do in-game uh, is, is strategically with the bunting and, and some of that stuff. Like, that drives me nuts because I think it's, but, it's, it's overdone. But I think it, the, the offense is not something that you can really screw up too much. It's the bullpen, and that's where – Yeah, but, this, but this, situ- this situation is you're impacting – like one of the, like if you just if you're a team that struggles on offense, you'd probably prefer to have Wilmer Flores. I mean, on a team that's been bad offensively, he hasn't been your worst problem. He's been a no. one for four, two fifty guy. Uh, unfortunately, the power numbers have gone away. He's not hitting the that's long ball right now um, anymore. But you'd probably prefer to have his bat in the lineup above some other guys right now. And whatever kind of scenario you play out there whether or not it's a Duda platoon with Kelly Johnson at first or, you know, you move in Murphy and, and Uribe at third, somehow this impacts Flores the most out of everyone. And he's going to have to make a decision whether or not having Flores become a guy who platoons at second base or with Johnson or if he just goes back to short and you leave him there alone. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you end up doing. I, it's tough. You know, and, and I go back and forth between pulling the plug on Flores and just letting it play out. I mean, it wouldn't be as bad as if, you know, Flores... He's done okay at only... second base. Right. Yeah, good. He, turns, he turns a really good double play. And double I'd be play real careful. I mean, I think you put Johnson in left, you have Uribe play against lefties at third because the splits are in his favor, and then maybe you put a little pressure you're not on Duda. You're not yeah. putting Kelly Johnson in left field. He's going to be a bench guy. Conforto's up. I, they're going to play not? Conforto. I think they're going to play Conforto oh, too. Until and I, I don't think you know Ron Darling. I, I was listening to him on the radio. Uh, uh, he was on an interview yesterday with a guy in WFAN, and he, uh, you know, he he brought up some good points. He's like, I, he thinks Conforto's going to play if there's a righty on the mound for sure, and he'll play against the occasional lefty unless it's a nasty left-hander. And, you know, I, I don't mind giving Conforto, you know, some leash here and just tell him, you know, I, I, as long as he knows he doesn't have to be the savior of the team and just, you know, does does what he does, you know, hit, hits for all in, all corners of the field and the occasional pop, that's fine. Just, you know, you need a good plate appearance at least from him because that's one of the things that's been a problem throughout this lineup is, like, you watch these plate appearances and they just look overmatched top to bottom. Um, one issue, though, I think they need to address and solve a lot of problems if they find a true leadoff guy and then bump Branderson down in the order a little bit. I think that would solve some problems for them. But the problem is, I, I don't know where you're going to find a leadoff hitter from. I mean, Tejada just... used to bat leadoff on this team way back when. I, Tejada I don't I mean, see, you're really, I guess Granderson would be better in the middle of the lineup because of his power. Right, and I think he so. gets on base. At this day and age, with the way, and especially if, again, I would read Sandy, just like you should read Phil Jackson's book to kind of get a feel of what the Knicks are doing. Read the book. It's kind of corny, the baseball maverick revitalizing the mess, but read Sandy Alderson's book, and you'll understand completely why they're doing what they're doing. He's a very patient guy. He's very calculated. He believes in a philosophy and an organization being 
uh, from top to bottom on the same page. He believes in the power and the on-base percentage, and that doesn't lend itself to really mattering in terms of speed at the top of the lineup. So if you have power throughout the lineup, you're, you know, that's what he's looking for. And right now, Granderson fits from an on-base point of view, and if you use some statistical lineup analyzers, it'll probably lend himself to be correct if you believe in that philosophy to put Granderson at the top of the lineup. Now, three of us, we grew up, Vince Coleman's a leadoff hitter, Mookie Wilson's a leadoff hitter. Right. That's, not, not, that's not the game anymore. I mean, Ricky Henderson was a leadoff I mean, hitter, but he could have been a middle-of-the-order hitter because he had power, but Ricky had a, a, a component of speed that nobody else had. Tim Raines, same way. Tim Raines could have been I mean, a middle-of-the-order hitter. Yeah, but you, but you know what, though? Here's the, pro, here's the problem with that statement. is that the Mets don't have any speed in the lineup, and they're station-to-station. So the guy doesn't believe in it. The first, guy running the organization, Drew, doesn't believe in it. It's due to home. I mean, that's crazy. You leave runs on the board every game. That doesn't make any he, sense. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You're not going to yeah, I, 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 I get what you're you. saying. But, I mean, it just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I mean, you have to have somebody that can move a little bit out there. I mean, I think Joe and I could do one better than half the team. I mean, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know about I don't know, I don't I don't know, know, about I don't know if you've seen Joe run. <laughs> I think from what I hear, and I'm certainly not a speedster, especially because, uh, you know, I've fluctuated in weight up and down, but uh, I think I, I could do you. Joe in a foot race. I think I could do <laughs> You guys could do the weekend watchdogs foot, foot race. Just we maybe you could do it up do. in uh, Rhode Island or, somewhere, or Connecticut on along the beach board. Uh, well, thank you for yeah, the we'll call. Be like, we'll, be like, uh, we'll be like Rocky and Apollo. Right. Well, not quite, and I certainly don't know if I'd be invited to uh, the new Canaan uh you know the Chris Russo's of the world are only invited to New, New Canaan. The uh, not the, uh, the 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 uncivilized pirates like myself who uh, would be. You got a, uh, yeah. I mean, last weekend was a peek as to what life could be if I just kind of do the whole cliche next step in well, you, life type of thing. You are you are kind of a cliche at times. Let's be fair. How am I a cliche right now? Follow your Facebook feed. <laughs> you kind of have a couple. Of you know, Brooklyn, you have the whole Brooklyn parks. You have the Brooklyn Heights cliche going on. That's what you got. I live where I live. I mean, that's where I live. But, I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about, like, the next, like, progressive step. Like, okay. you turn on to these streets. And, again, nothing against our friends who live up there at all. It's just, like, for growing up where I grew up, to go up these places and, like, turn on these, like, streets that don't have any, like, street lights. And, you know, just one way, and you have to kind of move over to the right as another car is coming down the road yeah, and have the perfect manicured lawns and the mailbox out front and, you know, all the, like... Old Mike Silver's world, man. I just... It, it, it's still, like... It's, there's still, like, a, um involuntary bodily thing happens to me in these in these spots. You know, I just... It just... I'm not... I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'll ever be there. That's, that's a fair point. So, so the thing about Conforto is that I think they're going to give him a look. I don't think they wanted to give him a look. And I think the leash is going to be short. I think he gets 15 days. If Kelly Johnson shows any life with that bat, and Kelly Johnson's a guy, let's not make him out to be anything more. He's going to pop you uh, a home run. He's got power. He's not going to hit for high average. He's going to strike out. This is what Sandy Alderson wants. So the, the idea that wrong, all of a sudden... But there's nothing wrong, Mike, with just having these guys also be here as part of depth. Like, get the minor league players off this team. You like, don't want Kelly Conforto. Johnson on you the... You don't on want the, Conforto not, sitting. Not Conforto. I don't rest. want him sitting. 
But if Kelly Johnson can't be in the lineup every day, so what? That's Same okay. thing could go yes, with I agree. You know, all these guys, Sahada, Uribe, Murphy, Duda. Like, it's not a bad thing to have actually two credible bats on your on bench, bench. At, the, right. at, the end of, at, at the end of a game. That, that, is, that is correct. That is, that is for sure. So, um, yeah, so Conforto, I'm not sure that, that, that that's really something that uh, I, I, would, I would worry about. But people uh, want to make the Schwarber, the, I'm sorry, Mike, but they want to make like the, you know, the um, comparison with the Cubs catcher who was drafted in the exact same draft, another college bat, and, you know, to bring up him to catch a the more demanding position than playing left field. And he's producing, and the Cubs in the thick of a wild card chase themselves. So why why I didn't understand all the apprehension around bringing up Conforto to see if he can hit. The guy hit at every single level when he was drafted. Everyone said he was going to be in the minor leagues for a blink. He was going to come up quickly. You're about two and a half months of baseball ahead of schedule because I think people expect him to be on this team to start next year. Kyle Schwaber is who you're talking about. Three home runs, 11 RBIs, yeah. a 400 average. Yeah. Barry Bonds-esque, 1.126 OPS. And uh, that's who you're talking about. And listen, if Conforto could do that, Johnson's not playing left field, I can tell you that. You know, on the American League, I had said that the only team that could beat the Yankees is the Royals. And they, you talk about the Yankees being under the radar. Here's the team of the Royals that made the World Series, was a hair away from winning the World Series, and, you, and they almost had the whole team make the All-Star game because they, they loved the team so much in Kansas City. They were stuffed in the box electronically or uh, digitally. But I'm looking at the Royals, and again, it makes me wonder, are the Mets going about this the right way? Because the Royals are just like the Yankees, are built on having some offensive players. They're certainly not in the same offensive category as, as, the, uh, as the Yankees, but they have better offense than the Mets, guys like Mike Moustakas. Uh, I know Alex Gordon's out for the year, but he was having a good year before he went down. Lorenzo Cain is having a good year. Kendrick Morales is having a good year. Eric Hosmer uh, is having a decent year. Um, but they're another team. Eh, starting pitching. You have Edison Volquez. You've got the, uh, the former Met Chris Young on the staff. And now Jason Vargas, who's out for the year, but he was he was their, their one of their better starters. Uh, you know, Jeremy Guthrie's in the rotation, Giordano Ventura. But this bullpen, you look at the bullpen. Wade Davis has a 0.43 ERA setting up. Kelvin Herrera, 1.94 ERA. Franklin Morales, a 2.23 ERA. Ryan Madsen's in that bullpen having a good year, former uh, Philly and uh, closer. And Greg Holland, who's actually the closer, has 21 saves, has the worst performance out of all of them. They're building it through a bullpen, through a better offense. They're doing speed and defense, like Drew was talking about, and an eh rotation. The Mets are doing all-time rotation, power, high strikeouts on base percentage. And look who's in the playoffs, the Yankees and the Royals, with bullpens, and starting pitching and offense. And look who's sitting back on the outside looking in. So maybe this whole idea that offense now is where you need to go and invest and pitching because of the error, because of the leveling out of offense due to the lack of amphetamine, steroids, et cetera, maybe you can get away with a lesser rotation. It's something that you keep an eye on because the teams that are winning, other than you know, even the Pirates aren't a great offensive team, 
but teams like the Yankees, even the Giants, the, the Cardinals have great pitching. Cardinals are a great overall team, but they're not necessarily top to bottom putting rotations together like the Mets. Now, the Mets are anomalies. Well, remember, the Mets also in 2009, 2010, 11, they would be among, when they had Reyes and Pagan, they would be among, and, Mur- and Murphy and Wright would steal bases. They used to steal bases all the time, and it didn't equate to wins. You know, so, I mean, I'm not sure if I want to go, they're building the team the right way or the wrong way. They right now have a bunch of hitters that, you know, can't hit 250. And it doesn't matter if those guys were fast or slow or anything in between. <laughs> if you can't get runners on base, you can't drive runners in. So, uh, listen, I'm not saying this team automatically is against uh, this front office. It's against speed and defense. I mean, who would be against speed and defense? I mean, if you say they had a preference out there, you know, would they, which way would they go? I'm not sure, but I don't recall the player that's been out there that made so much sense and was a dichotomy from – you know, what they looked at with Granderson, Kadire, et cetera. Um, why do you, are you so quick to dismiss the Houston Astros as a viable World Series contender? Uh, uh, especially after Casimir. I mean, no, Dallas you're Michael a good point. Is 2.12 ERA. And what Casimir has done, and they did a pitch-by-pitch on baseball tonight, um, last night, on um, Casimir, who pitched brilliantly in Kansas City for the Astros. And the type of pitcher he's become. And he is so free and easy. Remember how much of a strikeout overthrower he was when he first started off with the Tampa Bay Rays? And he is free right. and easy, using his changeup, curveball, perfect location. And this is a guy he's that was in the Atlantic a, League. Yeah, he's become yeah. such a credible, polished, left-handed pitcher in baseball. I don't know. I don't know if this has something to do with it, but I can tell you, and I had conversations with not only those who were involved when Kazmier was with the Mets organization, but that had worked with him after. And the impression I got, especially when he started struggling with Tampa, and then he went to Anaheim, the work ethic wasn't great. He was One of the reasons the Mets traded him is because he was wild. Stupid trade. And maybe now, having gone to the Atlantic League, playing for uh, Sugarland Skeeters, when you're at that point with your career is basically on the precipice. I mean, think about this, Joe. You look at Scott Kazmier, who had uh, seven shutout innings, the guy that brings shutters up Mets fans' spine, 31 years old. He wouldn't have been he, around to become this pitcher in the Mets organization. Uh, they never him. would have been able to have kept him. Um, let, me, let me give you a credit. So as of 2011, he made $12 million at that point, uh, uh, Kazmier. And then 2012, 2013, you think to yourself, Here's a guy that let's go back at that point. So he's you know he's still Scott Casimir. He goes to Anaheim, uh, you know, pitches pretty well. 1.73 ERA in 2009. 2010, he's at an ERA over almost six. Loses 15 games for the Anaheim Angels. Then he gets he only makes one start in 2011. Now he's basically um, going down in 2012 to the Atlantic League. Nobody wants him. He has to re- rehab his whole image a year and a half plus. At that point, he's out. Two full years almost, he's out. 2013, Cleveland takes a flyer on him, pitches to an ERA a little over four, um, below league average, but a little over four, basically a 500 pitcher, 158 innings. And here come the Oakland Athletics, and they give him a two-year contract for $20 million. But Guys, made, yep. it's going from Sugarland to $20 million. He's lefty. And I'll tell you what, you look at Kazmier's career. And right now, he's 
better probably than when he was at his best. Yeah, when he made the All-Star team. Yeah, when he made the All-Star yeah. team with all those high strikeout numbers. He's without question a better pitcher right now. The I think his ERA is like under it's under half a run in the month of July. Right. I just you know so, I just his Astro team. I mean, because there was no big build too. up. You know, that's just like the Mets. It's like, well, this is, you know, this year we'll be ready to move forward. This year we'll be ready to take the next step. The Astros were just like, no, we're going to do it right now. We're just going to do it. We're just going to make the next step. No, they've been a little fortunate, too. They've been a little, and they've had George Springer, one of their their power. But see, again, look at how they're, they're, now they're another example. They're doing it the Sandy Alderson way. They're doing it the Sandy Alderson way. You got Chris Carter who has 16 home runs but is hitting 186 in the lineup. Um, you have Luis Valbueno hitting 201. He's got 19 home runs. <laughs> Evan Gaddis, who we remember from the Braves, sure. is another guy hitting 16 home runs. And they got uh, Altuve, Springer's a guy the best overall see. player. Altuve is a baseball player, a hitter, you know, over 300. Now he's even got some pop. You got Colby Rasmus, another guy who's just a you know, guy who's going to pop home run. So they're a pop a home run offense. Um, their starting pitching has been okay outside of Keitel and Lance McCullers. You put, you put Casimir with Lance McCullers, and I know Colin McHugh has had some stinkers, but mm-hmm. very serviceable. They got Roberto Hernandez sometimes in that rotation. Scott Feldman, who's serviceable. The bullpen, that was a bad they, contract. That Feldman contract. Ugh. You know, they they signed him when they weren't ready. They gave him $10 million a year. I, I didn't understand that from day one. I, I think, look, I think they're good. You know they don't. I still think an I'm offense just saying, like that. Now with now with Casimir though, they have a one-two. Keiko Casimir is just as good as any other one-two combo that you're going to face in the American League. I would say the Yankees are just starting. I know. They I mean the Angels. Uh, the I mean the Angels. Are Angels are a hot team, and obviously the Angels have the best player in baseball, and they got Pujols with a resurgent type career. But you know their best pitchers are going to be, you know, like the Santiago and and Garrett Richards. I, I think, mean it's just not. Mm. Joe, I actually think, I think this would be fun. Let's go back to the standings here. You don't think this would bring a certain 1970s vibe, a Yankees Royals ALCS, the little Royals. Oh, Speed and defense. The Yankees, who are trying to make that last run with this A Rod Teixeira group. I mean, this could be A Rod's last chance. I, you know what? Here's what's going to happen, and this is exactly where the baseball gods are going. They are going to put the phoniness back in phony with the Yankees because A Rod. I said this early in the year, and I said it's probably not going to happen. He's going to get on a postseason stage. He's going to be the story. He's going to win either an a, a ALCS MVP or a World Series MVP. And then Rob Manfred's going to have to stand up on that, on that podium with him. Think about A-Rod two years ago with you know Ryan Dempster throwing at him, him coming back, him suing baseball, him suing the Yankees, the Mike Francesa show, being out a year, uh, the article that came out um, earlier this year that kind of peeled the – you know, put the curtain back on all that he went through his year off, the insecurities, everything. And here's A-Rod leading the Yankees, who don't need a, who need another World Series, like, you know, like, you know, the one team that doesn't need a World Series, playing the little Kansas City Royals, and the Yankees going to World Series at A-Rod in the stage. It's almost like now it's going to be where the Yankees are not going to care about all the things that would cost them. Now the contract doesn't look as bad. Eventually he's going to be 42 and broken down. You can't think about him continuing. 
But maybe the year off gives him, who knows, maybe an extra year. Maybe a year off. Maybe now the new thing is players take the year off. <laughs> Think about it. The year off has to have had an impact here for the guy. Has to. Two hip surgeries. Now, he's a great athlete, Joe. I don't think have you ever been around A Rod like like in his like next to him like in the locker yeah, room or I have he physically big guy. I mean, very fit guy, big guy. Hmm. Uh, maybe one of the, the the best ones out there. Anyway, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. The number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven, and listen to us live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs. Hope everybody is having a great weekend. Baseball trade deadline coming up. A lot going you know, on I, here in baseball. I wanted to make sure we spoke about this. And you bring up the point of A-Rod, uh, you know, coming um, coming back to baseball this year and having this resurgence and it all, you know, ultimately culminating in him being on a stage uh, with Rob Manfred or, or getting an award in the ALCS or Divisional Series or whatever it would be and what that situation would be and how baseball would handle it. Meanwhile, you know, news came out yesterday about the NFL and Junior Seau. And this situation where Seau wanted his daughter to be the presenter for him in the Hall of Fame. Junior Seau, of course, took his own life, had been dealing with all kinds of issues with concussions in recent years. And the NFL says that they will not allow his daughter or the family to speak at his induction and will just have a video play in in his tribute and completely control the message. And I think this is such a big misstep by the league. And this story I think is going to be everywhere between now and Hall of Fame weekend in the NFL in August because they're putting the whole concussion issue right center stage when they could have seen what the girl was going to say and, 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 you know, just reviewed it. I'm sure she would have made some questions about awareness and things like that, and people would have applauded and moved on. What, were they th- what are they thinking here, Mike? It's called, it's called a world that now is run by lawyers. I think that's, I mean, the lawyers probably said we can't have that. I mean, because anything that she says, if she goes off script, if there's ever a trial. But how is she representative of the NFL? She's just going to talk about what she believes and how she believes the well, game and concussion It's also public relations. I mean, yeah, but pe- I mean, it's public relations, relations by trying to hide the message. You're right, Joe. You, you have a public relations connection. You've, you've, you've been involved in that business. But I think public relations, especially with these leagues, has gotten to the point where 
it's almost phony because it's it's so transparently blasé anything that they come out with or sanitized. Um, and here's the thing: you just mentioned the Seau thing. Here, where we reside in New York, we're not really talking about it. I'm sure down in the South and the football hotbed, that's a big topic. We're not even talking about it. Well, it's gonna it's gonna momentum. It came out just yesterday. So I mean, from a national standpoint, it's it's taking there, and I think it's gonna get momentum, and I think it's gonna have momentum where it really hurts the NFL, which will be um, on the you know the morning shows and the nightly news and all that kind of stuff, and it wouldn't have gone that way. You know, they went through a period with what was the name of the uh, the PBS special, A League in Denial. Yeah, book, I saw that. And yeah. we went through that whole period of of things happening. And all that attention on it, and it's kind of dissipated. And the NFL has done some things and haven't done others. And obviously, the precautions they take place in a game. But now it's going to be to me. I think they're just going to throw this back in the forefront. Come that weekend, there the Seau family will be approached and will speak to national media members about not being allowed to speak at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And it's going to become a big time story. And I just don't understand what the NFL is thinking here. By the way, he has uh, been in a hiatus from our show, but I got a text from Mojo. He's actually agreeing with you, Joe. He said you're correct. The offense of the late nineties uh, took off late nineties. He, he agreed with you on your on your um, comment about the steroid era being the late nineties. Colfax and Gibson better than Pedro and Maddox. He also said the NFL doesn't let anyone who is dead have have uh, someone present them. Only living guys. It's NFL policy. So um, you know, I guess. Obviously, no yeah, I'm sure it's a convenient, a convenient NFL policy. Well, it is. You know, generally, no, I can sometimes they bring up guys who have been, you know, passed away for a number of years and they get great, you know, whatever part of, you know, the uh, legends committee, whatever they call it there. A guy played in 1965 and they do a video to him and tribute to him. Junior Seau was the young man who took his own life because of uh, the brain injuries he occurred during his 20-year NFL career. And anyone who is my age or younger or even older knows who Junior Seau is. And it's just going to be so blatant that they're not going to allow... I, I just I just think this is going to generate a lot of attention um, in the next... Well, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's going to generate a lot of attention in the coming months. I would be remiss if I didn't... I was actually just, as we were talking earlier about Hall of Fame and what have you, so you mentioned that I had a chance to run into or well, the actual all-time hit leader wanted to take a picture with uh, with uh, uh, with me at the uh, at the uh, uh, at the Mandalay Bay. So um, Steve Garvey, who was part of that picture that I had uh, up there, was actually next to Pete signing autographs out there in Vegas. And I'm looking at Garvey's numbers from 1974 to 1980. Let's take a look at this. 1974 to 1980, Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey averaged 23 home runs, 104 RBIs, had a 311 at batting average. And again, this is an offensive error that's not the offensive error that you know we've been talking about with the uh, with the steroid era. But Steve Garvey had himself a nice a nice little career there. You know, you can't can't complain about that, Joe. So basically, what I'm I'm going through here is Steve Garvey, and uh, that was the other individual in the photo that I sent out to you. Yeah, uh, a little bit of I an underrated career. A little underrated career. 23 home runs. If you look at Steve Garvey from 1974 to 1980 with the Dodgers, 
23 home runs, 104 RBIs, a 3.11 batting average. Now, I don't believe he's a Hall of Famer because um, 2,500 hits, 2,600 hits almost, what, 2,599, 272 home runs. You know, if Steve Garvey, who yeah, dropped the flare too, off, Mike. Yeah, if he dropped off after 1980, and he had a couple of seasons where he was, uh, well, one season, 1983, only played 100 games, and he dropped off with San Diego, especially power numbers-wise. But was part of yeah. the 84 San Diego team yeah. that went to the World Series you know and what, did have Joe? a big home run there. Yeah, I, he he really came into his own at age 25. So that period between 1969 and 1973 where he was uh, not a full-time player also started you know, a gold-glove first baseman and played some third base early on. He... If he uh, listen, here's where it's crazy with Craig Biggio, right? Craig Biggio, three thousand hits in the Hall of Fame this weekend. If Steve Garvey gets three thousand hits, he's in. Even if he hung on for another, you know, two three years into age forty forty one to try to compile, but he, you know, he fell off the map after nineteen eighty six. He would have been. I mean, that's the part of the three thousand hits I think that has to be looked at is the fact that, you know, you can make an argument that Garvey was more of an impact player Hall of Famer than Bijou. I know they're not the same position. I'm just talking about players in general. Did you um, also see the comment that Craig Bijou mentioned on Twitter that got a lot of attention this uh, this week? Which one? I, being that I traveled, I might have missed something in that. He was asked which player um, currently in Major League Baseball most reminded him of himself, and he said that uh, – he said Mike Trout, and then he <laughs> he mentioned all the similarities. He said, and he's pretty much that, you know, just with a little bit more power. Uh, that's delusional. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't miss that. That's delusional. I mean, Mike Trout is, he's got speed. Um, he's got power. I mean, he's a fire. I mean, look, give Bijou credit. Let's not, let's be fair here. And we should actually give him his props because we talk about Pedro and Randy Johnson, and we're talking about the pitchers. But Craig Biggio started out, Joe, and I remember when he was actually a young player. I believe one of his early first, you know, maybe his first game was against the Mets. Because I remember it being talked about him being from New York, very skinny kid, a catcher. Um, and I'm going to try to find that out for you right now. But, um, you know, here's a guy who came up in 1988, skinny kid, played behind the plate, moved to center field uh, for a little bit, was a gold-glove second baseman. Later in his career... Uh, played a little outfield again. Uh, you know, he was you know, that that that's you no. Know, the fact that you play behind the plate, second base outfield is not a is not an easy thing to do. Let's it's unusual. It's unusual too. It's a, it's definitely a feather in his cap because it's a it's a quirk um, in his career. Same way that you know Smoltz being a closer and starter is a, is a quirky thing that I think helps him helps him too. Not now. You know, I'm, I thought. Hold on a second. I really thought Bijo. I'm looking at the wrong. I thought he oh, debuted in 1987. I guess, uh, oh, yeah, he did. He did. Hold on. Uh, no, he debuted in April. He actually debuted early that year, in April 1987. Um, I thought he came up against the Mets, but I, oh, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. I'm trying to see. Hold on. I mean, I do have a recollection, and this is, it's crazy the things you remember, but I definitely recall watching a Mets-Astros game at, with him as a dome. catcher and, uh, you know, on WOR Channel 9 with McCarver and Kiner. You know, I <laughs> just... It just kind of always I do sticks remember. in my head. Right. I do remember. And it's interesting. He had little power. He, you know, and he wasn't, I mean, he was a guy that had power, 
uh, not so late in his career. He was, I mean, a lot of that had to be me because he was a skinny kid, what have you. So, um, you know, that, that's, you know, that's part of the whole, the whole thing about being a Hall of Famer. So are you looking forward to anything this weekend, Joe? Are you looking forward to the, you know, obviously you're, you're fired up about the concussions in the NFL. Uh, perhaps I just, you, you know, uh, this weekend I'm actually, um, it's kind of, I'm having kind of like a, a teenager moment today. Um, the, my in-laws are away. And what does that have uh, to do with you? We're gonna we're gonna go to their house and we have we're inviting people over and they're gonna have a have a rager. We're gonna use their alcohol. What? We're gonna eat their food. Uh, we're gonna use their pool. We're gonna have a, a, a house party at the Barron's house. Up in up in uh, Westchester. Up in Westchester, yeah, you can. I don't want people over here. You don't have parties at your house. No, I always want to have a place that's small enough where I can't have a ton of people over. I think that's my goal. I like. I think I want to like. I want my place to be the place that you come in for the drink before you go out, or come back to for the drink after you go out, but not the place that like you do all the celebrations and and everything. Like, are not your the in-laws aware that you're that you're actually using their alcohol in their facility? Yeah, they're actually quite quite supportive of it all as well, though. They they're like stocking the fridge. No they're chance. Kind of bringing us up because they want to have. I, their, I would like, not we roast beef. We got cheeses. We got. We got everything. My house, so. my house is a refuge away from the world. Like, all right, you want to invite family and have a few people over, fine. But to have like a big party when I'm not there, like my my ability to control things would be. You don't think great. I'm trustworthy? You don't think I'm trustworthy? Me and not my, you. Uh, I think I I think when you bring a bunch of strangers in your house, you're asking for trouble. Anyway, speaking mention- of strangers and uh, ragers, I want to know, Mike. I mean, I know you mentioned Rose. I know you mentioned Garvey, but. I want to know what else happened in Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Details, man. Viva uh, all business. I did have dinner at Strip Steak in uh, Mandalay Bay, which was really good. I had a $60 filet mignon. I, uh, I had dinner at the Palms, and I had a cheese. I'm not a wine drinker, but I had red wine. I can't remember. One of the bottles of red wine I had was from 1947. I know that. And it was actually pretty smooth, pretty good. Um, I can't remember the other one. It was actually from what year? Was, uh, what was the year 19, on the wine? 1947. It was the first time it was opened. Wow. 1947. Yep. And how much was that? A 1947 I, wine? I didn't pay for it. None of that stuff. Everything is on the wing, my friend, on these, on these business deals. Working on big things. Working on big things. Who knows? Maybe it's stuff for the radio. That might be why I was out in Vegas. You never know. 1947 wine. I, I, I'm jealous. I think the guy that was throwing the event, uh, the dinner, was has been doing it for so many years that as a thank you from the Palms, which is really not the same Palms that the Maloof brothers had. It's kind of, it's, it's mm-hmm. gone down, people are telling me, that, um, that it was almost like, hey, this is a thank you for like, you know, 11 years or 10 years of having this event every year of you know, of, of being here. So, but it was good. I mean, the food was pretty good. I mean, I'll tell you the $60 steak, uh, was pretty good. I wish I could have shellfish, but you know, that's the other problem with these places. You got appetizers that are shell. I have to kind of not partake in everything. So I don't get the food. Wait, are you allergic with that too? I'm very allergic. Yeah. Well, oh, not, we, not I, I didn't know. Closing. We haven't, uh, not we haven't, com- we haven't compared notes on that. But yeah, it's, it's miserable. It's horrible. It's even like, um, 
calamar, my eyes will swell. What happens is when I get an allergic reaction, my eyes will swell, um, and I'll get like the sniffles. But you, you know, you're, you could get tingling in your throat. You don't have nothing to say clothes, but that allergic reaction. So there's nah, actually, well, there's well, actually out of a thousand things, there's one thing in common that you and I have, and it's a negative thing. So. <laughs> the whole thing. Now, will you be sneaking away? to watch Juan Uribe or Kelly Johnson make their Mets debuts at your party. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last night, a uh, good example, right? So, you know, wife comes home and uh, had some wine and some food, and, you know, she's like, I want to watch a movie. And I'm like, I'm watching the Mets game right now. She's like, they stink. You know, and I'm like, this may be true, but oh, that's, that's, I know that's, it's Friday that's night. That's a strong statement. That's and I said, statement. it was a little bit of a strong statement. And I said, listen, I have to watch Conforto's at bat. And she didn't understand the importance of it. I'm like, I need to watch his first at bat. Now I watched his first at bat, hard ground out. Then obviously it's six nothing, and you know I gave way and, and we watched a movie together. But I'll make sure that I'm there to see kind of the ovations and the early stuff. And I kind of already set a little bit of groundwork, but I know it's not going to work. About maybe trying to attend tomorrow's Degrom Granky game, um, but I know I'll get uh, overruled. Yeah, that you're going to get overruled on. You know, a movie I watched last week after we did the show that was on the MLB Network that wasn't that got some criticism but actually wasn't too bad was uh, Trouble with the Curve. I watched that for the first time. I've seen that. You ever see that? You I can see you it? being. I can see you being that old scout that like you know knows by the sound of the bat. You know uh, how 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 a guy. No, can the not at all. I mean, old I grumpy be, man like Clint Eastwood. No. Clint Eastwood was very grumpy. I'm not in that camp, although I'm not in the camp of the dude. The dude that was the guy that was the stat guy, I've seen him in other movies. I just can't, He's always playing a, a jerk in movies. I not can't Justin, remember. Not, not talking about Justin Timberlake. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the guy who was the front office that was all about stats that wanted to fire Clint Eastwood. I think he was... Oh, yeah. um, he was the catcher in the Freddie Prince Jr. movie when he was the baby. Remember the Freddie Prince Jr. movie that he was the uh, <laughs> Summer Fever or Summer yeah, something like that. Yeah, the, yeah, that was an old one from from way back in the day. So. Jessica Biel, which who is yeah. married to Justin Timberlake, kind of all came full circle. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Now. See, mm. you would be you would be the front office narrative guy that would just go by narratives, and you would, <laughs> you, would, you, would dispute, you would dispute my uh, my 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 combination of sense and stats. See, the great thing about listening to me is that I actually take numbers and I put them in context for people. Oh, that's yeah. it's, it's, it's a very, no, it's a tremendous service you do. What's your thoughts on Amy Adams, like, overall? Because, like, in the movie, she's in a very, like, guy setting. Like, it's just old, grumpy scouts, and obviously she looks amazing next to old, grumpy scouts and dive bars in the middle of nowhere. But overall, is that her you, name? I don't you, know. What, what else has she, I've recognized her, but I don't know where else I've seen her. Where else has she been in? I'm trying to think. Um, she was in the. Uh, she's been nominated for a bunch of stuff recently. She was in the, um, the movie with uh, Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper, the kind of seventies movie, uh, The Hustle. Uh, uh, you you have your movie event that you go to, that you uh, that you go to every year. So you're more up to date on that stuff than than I am. But not your type but, overall. Uh, yeah, not bad, not bad. I mean, you're not gonna go like you know. Ga- I don't go Gaga of anybody. I like you know. You got to really get me. You got to really impress me to put you in the, in the pantheon. See, people like to put thing, things in the pantheon. You got to earn your way into. Is it, who who's in your who's in Mike Silva's pantheon? Uh, you know what? I'll have to put that in the queue. And we'll have to talk about that next week. That's a good question. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. Well, anyway, 
I want to thank Joe Giglio of WFAN WIP at Joe Giglio Sports. Check him out uh, for joining us. Uh, of course, if you want to listen to the show live or on replay, you go to weekendwatchdog.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media at jbono611. And go to our Facebook page at the Weekend Watch Dogs or check us out on iTunes. Joe, enjoy uh, summer fun uh, wherever you're going today. Uh, your little uh, house party. Don't get a rager. You can, my, rager. Mike, you're invited. You can come. Got plenty of alcohol. Uh, Let me tell you something. Very low percentage chance that happens if you want to use a baseball okay. term. Probably probably a better chance that the Mets uh, blow out Zach Greinke. But thanks for the invite. Anyway. Oh, you're welcome. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Take care.